All right, listeners, you see that sign? That sign says applesauce. No, I'm kidding. It says applause. Now, remember, you're all part of the show. So the better you are, the better Chris is. This is exciting, isn't it? See Diana over there? She's giving me the sign that we are on in five, four, three, two, one. Live on MP3 from Florida, it's the Chris Antista Show, oh, starring on. Chris Antista. <laughs> Special guests include Brad Pitt, Eddie Murphy, Sylvester Stallone, and me, Hey Now, J.R. Rawls. And now, because podcasting is the wave of the future, if it was 2009, Chris Antista. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, doing my best Gary Shandling here. No flipping, no flipping. I oh, welcome to thirty twenty ten with that uh, oddball that I that is very near and dear to me because uh, oh, I can repeat that whole opening by heart. And I did with my dad this week. Hi! Welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's pop culture time machine. We were look, look back at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago uh, from this very week. This week being August 12th through the 18th. So get ready to explore 1992, 2002, and 2012 in terms of movies, television, books, TV. I said TV twice, music, and so very much more. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I kick ass for the Lord! Wow. Uh, wow. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and... Vodka? I love vodka. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of personal favorite moments in this episode. And one of the biggest, I think the biggest box office flop, according to how much it lost of all time. I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I didn't want to do the math, but we'll get to it a little later. Uh, Because there's so much fun stuff to talk about. Stallone doing it again. One of my favorite things in television occurs 30 years ago. Very, very excited. Uh, And I just want to thank off the bat our patrons at patreon.com slash leisure time. Got a new show with E.T. over there. New episode of Sick of Star Wars coming to you. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to Laser Time and Video Game Apocalypse. Video Game Apocalypse this week. Looking forward to it. Talking light guns with Dan Amrick, so stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vi- new video game news and old video game stuff. It's a fun video game show every Friday. But, welcome to 30 2010. Uh, seventh season currently. Feel free to consult the back channels. Uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about, so let's begin like we always do in 1992. As we begin August 12th through the 18th, 1992, a little bit of news to bring you to the world of 1992. Wow, Canada, Mexico, and the United States announced completion of negotiations for the North American Free Trade Agreement. Otherwise known as NAFTA. Oh, and here we get maybe the quote of the year. Because Ross Perot, when he comes back into the race, is going to talk about that giant sucking sound. Mm-hmm. That's all the jobs that leave in America. Yeah, yeah this is kind of right, but kind of wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's always the question of who is going to be a winner and who is going to be a loser from an economic deal. Because it's almost never that everybody wins. If you look at it from the macro level, yeah, this probably improved things. Did it improve things for everyone? Nope. Yep. A lot of people got hurt, mm-hmm. and they didn't like that. Nope. I think the big winner was Mexico. Um, yeah. But Trade I mean, with really... Mexico is about 500% what it was in 1992. Mm. Yeah. But I, the general idea of it is let's get rid of all, like, the trade tariffs and limits and stuff. Like, 
you know, not like let's become a single economic unit like, you know, the EU or something, but just like when we're trading with each other, why yeah. do we have fucking taxes on shit? It's crossing the border. It just slows everything down. And, you know, you're right there, Canada. Buy our shit. Yeah. All the, all the annoying, <laughs> the annoying shit Brexiters apparently wanted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the European then, Union was a model for this just without the uh, union part. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, if you look into it, a typical automobile that is made in America will have parts made in Mexico and Canada and will cross the border about 18 times before it's finished. Mm-hmm. So if every 18 times you had to do uh, Form 27B in triplicate, that would slow things down and they got rid of that. Yep. And in nerdier news, it's the 25th San Diego Comic-Con and it opens up the Doubletree Hotel. I would ima- yeah. <laughs> imagine bigger than ever and still pales in comparison to what it is today. The so Comic-Con I, still fits in a double tree, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I watched a news article on this and they were like oh. very much, you know, it, from its humble beginnings, Comic-Con has now filled an entire hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and and they were like, and believe it or not, there's more than comic books here. Um, uh-huh. back then the, you could actually buy comics at Comic-Con. I know, crazy. It was you really still around can from like three vendors from three vendors. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it was really around the year 2000 with the X-Men films, uh, that really kind of just made Comic-Con into what we think of as today's Comic-Con. Yes. But back the- in 92, it was just. A large comic convention. Once movies and TV shows wanted to uh, parasitically attach themselves and market their wares, having haven't been to a Comic Con in almost ten years, but it's like the convention center itself is large enough to to see the curvature of the Earth, and then there are people for miles who can't get room inside and set up stuff outside, including thirty foot high statues, Sci Fi Channel taking over an entire diner. It is there is nothing quite like it, and I, I only know having been to WrestleMania. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Comic-Con. Uh, Comic-Con at the Doubletree Hotel. Well, You figure all of the Doubletree Hotel could fit in Hall H now, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, just pick the whole thing out. I don't know how many stories it is, but it'll fit. And also, this week, uh, Kurt Cobain becomes a father. I never uh, knew him not to be a father. Really. Francis Bean. Francis Bean. Yep. Only daughter of Kurt Cobain. I've watched a couple interviews with her, and she grew up thinking of her father as a quasi-imaginary figure like Santa Claus. Wow. And she felt like she was a fan to her own father. And she controls the publicity rights to her father's name and image. Uh, She was a year and a half old when he died. And she has a little mm, not great feelings, constantly seeing shirts with photos of her dead dad all the time. Mm. It's got to be weird. Yeah, Kurt Cobain was not necessarily in a good position to become a father, as this quote may show. You like fatherhood? Vodka? Yes, I love vodka. <laughs> oh, Kurt. <laughs> Ever the rapscallion. Uh, yeah, well, also, your mom is Courtney Love. She did smack while she was pregnant. There's so much attention on her and her being a terrible person. And is she so terrible? I don't know. She's I a terrible uh, Why don't you have a kid? Do they lose a bet? What the fuck? <laughs> I I think they may have had unprotected sex, Chris. I know heroin junkies doing that is shocking. This is a PG-rated show. We don't want to talk about where babies come from. Just kidding. I'll curse up a storm as the show moves forward. Let's get in the movies of 1992, August 12th through the 18th. Again, Unforgiven is still number one at the box office. Very, very cool. Yeah, because it's summertime, summertime, summertime. (laughs) 
Uh, but some really important movies this week, like really important movies for me. Johnny Swade with Brad Pitt and Catherine Keener, not one of them. Uh, you know, after Cool World, I do not think this Mr. Pitt has a future no. in acting. He should just give He's it up. dead in this town, I tell you. Yeah. But seriously, this... what a sucky summer for him. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, this, I mean, Johnny Swade was made for to come out in 1991. I think technically it might have. And the story, the most famous story about it is that it opened at, I forget which film festival, and Harvey Weinstein was completely convinced to buy it without having seen it because one of his guys says this movie sucks but that Brad Pitt guy's going to be a star mm. and so oh. they actually just just bought it and what? I don't know why I mean it's a it's definitely a weird very 90s indie movie because it's just sort of about a guy with a giant hairdo who's in a <laughs> the, band and kind of loiters around a lot <laughs> the pompadour Maybe the oh, stupidest hair I've seen in any movie. Hey, hey, it's hey. Some, magnificent. Some of us genetically can't grow any other hairstyle. Yeah. <laughs> some people, their hair just goes up. Yes. Up and in a V. It just happens to me. Just, I can't help it. Going. So, yeah, he's got a big pompadour. He loves Ricky Nelson. He's a, you know, rockabilly kind of guy. And, like, he loses his guitar. It gets stolen. He has to go find it. It's, yeah, it's a weird movie from, uh, was it Don Tachilo? I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He also did uh, Living in Oblivion, which I think is a much better That's movie. That's a great That's film. And this is just sort of a like, I don't know. It feels like a, it feels like a film school film. Mm. Except yeah. that it happens to have Brad Pitt and Catherine yeah. Keener and costumes. <laughs> if this was a film school film, I would have been like, good job. You did an excellent job, but it's not. Yeah. So yeah, I can't yeah. recommend this at all. No, it, it has like, it has its own little cult following. Cause you know, there's not a lot of rockabilly in film. No. So. And, uh, this next movie, mm, never saw it. Uh, Thomas Wilson yeah. Brown, Randall Tex Cobb, Heather Graham, other Oliver Platt, Bruce Dern, Lewis Gossett Jr. And James Wood in Digstown. Oh, it's kind of a fun one. Uh, it's from Michael Ritchie who have talked about doing the candidate and the mm -hmm. Fletch movies. And it's, kind of like a modern version of the sting because it's all about cons and conning other cons right. and then they triple cross with more conning and i mean it boils down to james woods america's wood rose just got out of prison <laughs> and he has this like big bet with evil guy who owns a town bruce dern that's like my fighter lou gossett jr he can beat 10 guys in 24 hours and then it's just <laughs> then it's like playing punch out you got to get yep. through all dead <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fascinating mixture of the two genres. I watched it a couple of times on HBO when I was young. Mm -hmm. Hadn't seen it in at least 25 years, but I think it still holds up. It's yeah. got really good chemistry between Woods and Gossett. The cons are entertaining and memorable. It's it's melodramatic, but yeah, it's a recommend for me. Uh, yeah. The only issue I had was at the very end when James Wood pulls off his final con it's very obvious that it's a scam and the entire town is happy that they just watched a fight and that fi that final fight was a scam yeah yeah uh, i guess they all got the memo that it's yeah. like this this was he really pulled this off you guys be impressed yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah especially if you like boxing you know because yeah. it's just a ton of boxing in it yeah things down is like yeah, it's okay yeah uh, the villain is pretty much as close as I've seen to a live action Montgomery Burns as I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the Thanks. only thing I could compare him to is maybe Ben Gazzara in Roadhouse of just like oh, hell yeah. evil old character actor who owns the town and just seems really pleased about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just like, I'm evil. Going to drive down the street being evil now. <laughs> evil. Okay. okay. I-, I would love to see one of those fake 30 for 30s like they did for the, the Karate Kid. Have you seen those? <laughs> Uh-uh. Oh, oh, they, they, they pretend that the Karate Kid and Angels in the Outfield are a real sport event, oh, and they cover oh. it like a 30 for 30 episode. <laughs> and I would love to see one of those on Digstown. Oh, that'd be fun. And uh, no offense to those two, Phil. I just wanted to get them out of the way for a trio of oh, yes. <laughs> delightful viewings be in the day. Wow, this next one, just a watershed moment for me. Uh, Stuart mm-hmm. uh, Davini, Elizabeth Moody, Diana Penelover, I don't know. Timothy Abalmi, Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain Dead. Peter Jackson's horrific masterpiece comes out in New Zealand? Yeah, just in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Six years. Mm-hmm. There are six years <laughs> between the release of this film and the start of filming of Lord of the Rings. It's- how the hell does that happen in six years? Who heavenly creatures was <laughs> yeah. that helped? That's about it. But you had to have like watched a couple of his films, and yeah. who was watching the pus eating scene in this film? Well, the puppets and fucking went, film. <laughs> this is yeah. our man. The this puppet fucking and fucking. eating pus means that this guy is who we're going to give three films to. <laughs> three hundred million dollars. You know who can really bring the the mythical, beautiful creature of Galadriel to life? The guy who's dumped 17 gallons of fake blood in one scene but you, in this movie. You I I I have to think. I don't I don't know what makes a good director because I've never done it and I can only speculate. But Peter Jackson had made all these labors of love with his friends that yep. sometimes took years to make. So in terms of organizing people to do the silliest shit imaginable is probably really, really good at that. And that's probably a, a knack I'm guessing some producer is looking for. And someone if who can get something done. If you look at his done. filmography, it is almost exclusively labors of love. Yes. Like, yeah. th- it's very hard to find a film of his where he's like, well, obviously that's your paycheck film. If you, nope, if you, I heard him in an interview on Mark Maron. He said, yeah, I'm obsessed with uh, horror Lord of the Rings, Beatles, and World War One planes. And I'm out of stuff to make movies out of. Like, I, <laughs> everything I've ever loved, I've made a movie out of. So, wow. Last week, we talked about a film in which a man punches a baby, and that film did not deliver. The film has so much baby punching in it, but it completely <laughs> delivers. Yes. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. There yeah. is... Well, so- it's a zomcom. It is a zombie horror comedy, which... No huge surprise is a major influence on Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Because it, yeah, it's about a loser. He's got a really mean mom who who bullies him all the time. She gets bit by a Sumatran rat monkey, which is such janky stop motion. I love it so much. <laughs> and she becomes zombified. She dies. And then um, she comes back. And then the zombification of the town starts. And I... he has to keep hiding. So hey, he, someone gets bit. He hides them in the house. Now they're a zombie. Someone else shows up at the house. They get bit. Oh, crap. Okay, well, now i got to keep hiding these zombies or else I'll get in trouble, I guess. And I think these may be <laughs> the most dangerous zombies in movie history. Yeah, because if you rapey, decapitate yeah. one of these zombies, its intestines will crawl out to <laughs> uh, strangle you to death. 
I mean, that that's a dangerous zombie. So I, I, I no longer want to make this decree, but I felt like this for a really long time. I thought this was the best horror movie of all time for a long time. Wow. But a more apt description could be it's the most. <laughs> yeah. It is the yeah. most of everything. It is yeah. holy shit. Yeah, there is a ton of blood, a ton of gore, a ton of, yeah, that custard scene is notoriously disgusting and hard uh -huh. to watch. Uh, I, I really struggled with that scene, listeners. I remember yeah. watching it as a youth and being disgusted by it. But as an old, old, decrepit man, just watching it, I was like, oh, no, no. Yeah. I'm, oh, oh, I feel like no. if you can make it past that, you can make it past just about anything. When I was in film school, this was long before filming people's reaction to Two Girls, One Cup. Wow. <laughs> that was what we would do with this. This, wow. this. It was a legendary thing. It was hard to get our hands on when someone finally did get a videotape of it. We would literally be like, oh, my God, no. But I heard Zach has dead alive. Yeah. I'm like, can we go? Can we watch it? And every every person that you got the tape wanted to watch it with you to see your reaction. <laughs> yes. And then you became part of the kind of the evil cabal of like, hey, want to watch Dead Alive? Yes. Zach got a copy. You... And then we all sit there and watch the person watching it because once that lawnmower comes out at the end. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, I, I, I just. It's just a blender of zombie I'm, I, I've always. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm enchanted with this story just because it is movie nerddom before the internet. Oh, uh, I remember very vividly being at my buddy Sam's house. You may have heard on a bonus time or two. There was on Showtime, like two in the morning. We basically get to that part, the lawnmower, like right before the lawnmower scenes, like, and just our our jaws hit the floor. Like, what the fuck is this? Uh, what is it? We don't even know. What is this? He's like, let's check the preview guide. Like, no, I don't want to miss any of it. Let's check it afterwards. That we had to check. Like channel, what was your preview guide? Like 18, channel 18, 19, where the, they would scroll the TV listings of what was on. Oh, it scrolls so slow. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the time the movie was over, we went, like, we didn't know what it was. And we spent what felt like months describing <laughs> this movie to friends and strangers. Just can anybody help us figure out what this fucking movie is? Hey, hey, do you know the film in which uh, a guy's mother becomes a zombie and then <laughs> eats him? And then, like, there's totally a Freudian moment when he comes out of her Wawa. No, it ends with a giant <laughs> dead baby, I'm telling you. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, did you, is there a movie where there's, like, an evil zombie baby and he, like, puts it in a sack and he, like, drop kicks it a bunch? <laughs> So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't there... just that it was legendary, is that we got a taste of this and had to figure out what it was oh, in a time before yeah, the yeah, internet. So frustrating. It was really frustrating. Because, yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a cult favorite, you know, everywhere. And uh, once Peter Jackson became a big deal, <laughs> it became, be the big thing to put. The dead alive guy? I, I think, I think you're correct on that, Diane, because I do remember like any time outside of like my serious horror fans, the discussion went to horror movies like, have you seen that alive? <laughs> you should watch that alive right now. Well, like, I uh, wasn't a huge horror fan, but I watched this in the early to mid nineties just because of its reputation. Like, Oh my gosh, you have to see this. It's so yep. good. It's, it's a perfect film. <laughs> and yeah. does this have the coolest priest in all of movie I history? Kick ass for the Lord. He kicks ass for the Lord. He was so ready. I didn't know in seminary, they train you in hand to hand <laughs> combat against the undead just in well, case something unholy happens you have to be ready yeah of course yeah oh it's uh. the way it's shot too it's like oh it, this weird fish zooms and close-ups yeah. and it's just everything looks sticky and uncomfortable <laughs> oh, oh such a moist film yeah 
Oh, it really is. And yeah, and, and it just feels like this was made on whatever weekends we could get together. And it, but it's just edited nicely. So it looks better than something you just made with your janky friends. Oh, I think it's because, yeah, think he's it's made phenomenal. a couple movies. He's made what two movies at this point? Yeah, he's worked up, but you know, it's still shot in 16 Maybe millimeter. Three. So it, it's, it's kind of grainy and yeah. You know, yeah, this, but, this this movie is in a brain so much. If it had like beautiful lighting and cinematography, it wouldn't work because hmm. the whole point of it is that it's like icky and underground. It's this guy in the big creepy house hiding all these creepy bodies, I, I, and, I, and then I, they come to life and eat a dog. <laughs> Sorry, the dog dies. I would love to know if there's any other movie that's reached this level of like merriment and gore. Because I'm 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 struggling to think of one. So if you can think of one, yeah. please. Oh, I can't Facebook think community. of a yeah a funnier gore movie or a gorier comedy. Yeah, than, it is. Yeah, Dead Alive, aka Brain Dead. It is an absolutely unforgettable experience. Everybody should see the movie. Uh, and if you can see it with a crowd, I saw oh, it dude, with an extremely rowdy crowd at a screening hosted by Elvira. It's oh, that's one perfect. of the highlights. I think oh. of my film going life. My God, that crowd was so rowdy. And you could tell, I, I really hope there were no virgins in, in the crowd who, I hope everyone had seen the movie already, because otherwise someone was going to throw up to have all of that on the big uh, screen. I hadn't considered that because I've only seen it on the small yeah, screen, me too. but uh, to see it in huge, big images, to, the pus is squirting. To see it in a big theater and people experiencing it for the first time, that's one of the most fun things about revival horror movies. Fuck, I didn't even realize yeah. I never had that opportunity because I got so many of those opportunities in San Francisco. Why did no one show Dead Alive? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I'm looking now, I, I, it, it doesn't seem to be streaming in a lot of places, but it is on YouTube and 1080p in its entirety. So, uh, Is it, it the there. unrated cut or the it's, it's, R-rated version? It's called because Brain the, Dead. So it, I'm guessing all right. it's... Okay. So the, it's the way you know is the, the R-rated version is 85 minutes and the unrated is 97 minutes. Uh, yeah, because there are a bunch minutes. of countries that were just like, oh, fuck, no. Yes. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, no. And then I, I guess I just reading up like the Wikipedia, finding out like in England, they almost gave it a 15, where it's like 15 and <laughs> 15 and over can go see it what? just because they said there's so much comedy that you can't take the gore seriously. It's wow. Very rarely. And, and, it's hard yeah, to call it a scary movie. That was pushed back on hard of like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> No, because your options are 15 or 18. It's like, this is an 18. This is, yeah, this is 18. There is so much gore. Yeah, it's just, I think oh I God. think Peter Jackson would have been a genius if he had stopped making movies here. Great man. <laughs> Great man. Uh, this is my favorite of his movies so far. In this most, oddly, his most palatable. <laughs> For real. Other than, uh, well, up till now? Yes. Maybe, yeah. Up till now. Really? Bad taste Bad and meet taste. the feebles. I had never saw meet the feebles is more palatable than this film. This if you want to watch puppets' genitals become <laughs> wet with sores, it, it's it's right. But if you want to see a man eat a pudding with freshly squirted pus on it, one thing. Then this yeah. is your film. All right, we, we'll make the JR cut, and uh, hopefully, you'll be on my side. But Dead Alive, I think, is an experience everybody should should have I, I really really love this film and it's I, I I forgot I forget to talk about it now because because of the internet everybody knows about this movie now it's and Peter Jackson's fame people are more aware of the film now. yeah I yeah. think also I I didn't triple check on this I think this might be where he met Fran Walsh's partner right. so happy anniversary Ooh. to them oh and I, I do believe I thought I heard him in an interview saying he was 
in the process of remastering this and his other early work, uh, oh, giving it cool. the uh, "they shall not grow old" treatment. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, so I, can, I that that is a, no, a new way to experience this film. But I've seen it so many times, and the exact experience Diana described. Uh, fucking rad, man. The next movie is equally near and dear to my heart for some reason. What? Yeah. Well. Child nostalgia, isn't it? It's yeah. a, it's a little bit of that, but it's uh, mm-hmm. but the same reason I've I've had a lot of affection for a lot of movies in 1992. Eugene Levy, Jeffrey Jones, Pam Dauber, and John Ritter in Stay Tuned. You've never seen TV shows like this. Wednesday at nine, The Silencer of the Lambs, or this. Head spins. Very good. Because this isn't TV. Ah! It's hell. Our parents are trapped in television. We're cartoons. They're having a devil of a time getting out. That'll save her. Not good. Stay tuned. Where have you been? Rated PG. Ah. Starts. <laughs> Ah, this is Three's Company's co-stars are there. I never, I didn't get that joke until like five years ago. I had no idea what Three's Company was when I saw this movie. So this film is one of those films that exist in a specific moment in time and nowhere else. If this had been made 10 years later, all of the references would have been completely different. Yes. I think um, even, even from the onset, like uh, John Ritter is a television addict. Like he is habitually and like chronically and maybe like in need of therapy addicted to television. Think of what that meant in a 1992 context. There's no (laughs) uh, like binging your favorite show. Everything you are watching is 30 minute sitcoms, Mm -hmm. 22 minutes of actual plot, eight minutes of commercials. And he's just watching it. All of those fucking farm reports, like (laughs) early in the morning. Uh, But all these references, I do not think will mean anything to anyone under the age of 25. I think that's true somewhat, but it's also like, for lack of a better word, this is kind of a sketch comedy movie. hundred percent. And it's all about, because the premise is what if television shows, but hell. Yes. <laughs> Jeffrey um, Jones is a, a, a work, I don't know, a minion of the devil who sells John Ritter a a, t- a TV satellite that gets 666 channels, which okay. seemed impossible. <laughs> John Ritter doesn't blink at that number. It's not like 666. That's kind of an odd choice. Say, I worked at a cashier at a gas station. Three times in my entire career did customers purchase come to six dollars and 66 cents every single one of those times the customer noticed it and two out of the three times the customer purchased an additional item just to make sure they weren't paying six dollars and 66 it's kind of a number that sticks out but not to john not ritter enough. but but stay tuned i i just like again it's not a great movie but uh I would argue it's not even a good movie. <laughs> I, I think a but lot it of its humor memorable. is... memorable. And, well, for 1992, it, a lot of the humor was a lot of fun. It's just dated so badly. Yes. Yeah, it's it's you know, very it's, specific. Yes. Yeah, it's you one of the... You don't like I mean, My Three Sons of Bitches? Of it as, <laughs> I, I did like that, but... You know, it's not quite like epic movie where it's just like we're making thing, fun of the trailer of a thing we think is going to be popular. And no, I, it's I, not just I, reference. I, I more That's appreciate it. It's the joke that it's, but... it's it's a snapshot of what the audience would have understood to be television and film at the time. Yeah, and yeah. that that, that didn't extend to like some fifties and seventies sitcoms because mm-hmm. that was just being That's rerun what all the time. Was in on television. Yeah, and yeah. I I think that's great. It's 
it it does have a narrative John Ritter sucked in trying to get out. It has three narratives. Yes. And if we're talking about it as a film, that's the, a big problem with it. Yeah. There's the narrative in the boardroom, Hell's boardroom. There's the trapped in TV yeah, land maybe. narrative. And there's the kids figuring out what is going on narrative. And it's a bit too busy while at the same time being a bit too slow. Yeah, it, 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 I just, I think it's, I think it's wonderful just to being, being just becoming pop culture obsessed. And I probably didn't see this until next year on HBO. Yeah. I just thought it, I still think it's, I watched it. I watched it last year and the year before organically because <laughs> it's still, like even the cringy jokes, like, like this is still rad that somebody did this in a movie. I think autopsies of the rich and famous is the only one of these shows, <laughs> which I think is quasi a real show. Cause <laughs> There was something like that where it was like, well, how do these rich people die? Does the time work out for the cartoon scene to be inspired by Roger Rabbit? I don't think so, but because that that was in production before any any frame of the film was shot. That is fucking Chuck Jones coming back to theatrical animation, which is another reason I feel this is super exciting. A seven minute Chuck Jones cartoon in the middle of this film. And it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a good Chuck Jones cartoon. But yeah, How yeah. The Fresh Dave. Prince of Darkness. This is a David Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> David Dukes <Okay>. of Hazard. <laughs> My favorite joke was probably the darkest joke. That's where one man goes, I can't feel my arm. And the other man goes, everything's going dark. And then it just says, different strokes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah. Murder uh, she likes. <laughs> but again, a number of the clips are funny. It has problems as a film. Like the whole oh, thrust yeah. of the movie is seeing John Ritter and Pan Dauber improve their relationship. But once that relationship is theoretically repaired, we don't see them together again. They needed mm-hmm. a scene at the end of the film where the two of them were frolicking on a beach or, you know, having a romantic horseback ride or something like that. <laughs> oh, I yeah, still whatever it. it is people do to signify romance, I don't yeah. even know. Three three men and Rosemary's baby did make me happy. <laughs> I I just I, I think I put it in an an Instagram I put up because every time I'm thinking of a joke that I think is this SNL or I'm gonna get you sucka, it's always stay tuned. That's what I'm remembering. <laughs> I'm remembering the stay tuned parody. And uh I don't know. I I think it's really clever, even for a B C plus comedy. And uh, yeah. I wish there was more stuff like this. It is extremely silly what's really weird i didn't realize that it's not really directed by a comedy guy it's directed by peter hyams who did outland and 2010 the year we made contact what and he ends up doing (laughs) sudden death with jean-claude van damme and time cop that's an excellent movie but previously he did running scared which is okay it's an action comedy Mm -hmm. but this seems like he feels he seems like an overpowered overqualified guy for this this seems like it's made for someone coming out of directing commercials like why get uh, actual film guy get a get a guy who's been working on commercials it'd be even better because they'll probably get the look right i don't i don't, I don't yeah. know and I, I wish there was more written about this and there kind of isn't because a lot of the people yeah. you know it, only it, only it, it eugene levy is still working yeah. I, I think it was sort of a bomb it's difficult to say because it's so cheap and yeah. it ran for so many years on cable i'm sure they made their money back but i would have loved to have seen the tim burton directed version yeah. of this film yeah Oh. Yeah, originally offered this, yep. and he turned it down to do. No, he was Batman. attached to it. He, yeah, he, he was, was supposed to make it. it, and then he turned it down to do uh, Batman Returns. 
But if if he would have used like clout to like make it even darker and dark with that Burton aesthetic in 1992, yeah. I think he could have a classic. I kind of I can see where the cir- circles of Stay Tuned and Beetlejuice could overlap. But I'm just saying I'm just saying if your complaint is that it was dated, there's no version of this movie that wouldn't be dated. It oh, is, completely. Yeah, no, yeah. That's not, yeah. There's I, no getting away with that. Wondered. If you could make a Stay Tuned or Who Framed Roger Rabbit or Cool World with like the modern world where it's like YouTube and you mean Ready Player uh, One, <laughs> someone being sucked into like YouTube and Instagram Ugh. and Twitter. I, you just, I just heard the if, internet. If you listen outside your window right now, yeah, you just heard a bunch probably. of Hollywood executives ejaculating over what Jr. just said. Uh, like I don't know how to put it together, but I'm I'm sure someone's trying to manufacture that at every waking moment. Uh, out there in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me do my biting humor. Well, you know, the hell version of Twitter would just be Twitter. Twitter. Wow. Yes. I'm a comedy <laughs> genius. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this movie is super fun and it used to pop up streaming like fucking everywhere because nobody gives mm-hmm. a shit about it. And I couldn't find it streaming. Was it streaming anywhere for you guys? Is it on uh, um, HBO, HBO Max? It's a Warner Brothers film. Yeah, forget where I found it. It's around. And yeah, John Ritter, I think, was an underrated comedic actor. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. We've said before, he didn't. He made movies and um, they weren't good. Uh, It's free on Prime. Free on Prime. And uh, I. Yeah. You're you're overlooking problems. He made a good movie. Problem. Because he was. I mean, his his physical comedy skills were completely insane. And Mm -hmm. that's why it's just fun to go watch Three's Company, even though those shows are goddamn awful. Um, (laughs) Because he's just so good at it. But something like Skin Deep, you know, but the Blake Edward sex comedy, where it's just like he's his comedy is so good in it. This movie's just terrible. You don't deserve this. (laughs) I think it's a great time capsule, but I I do see it's kind of hard to recommend. But, you know, to each their own. And if you forgot, I'm betting a lot of people listening forgot this existed and are excited to hear about it once again. Stay yeah. tuned. Yep. If you We're want to relive this. 1992 television, watch Stay Tuned. Yeah. Uh, if you want to relive, relive 1992 everything else, though, <laughs> our next movie, continuing 1992, Year yeah. of the Stalker, is such a stone-cold classic of the genre that is dumb and makes no sense half the time. Yeah. and She works in computers. Yeah. I have known male and female computer programmers, and not one of them is a third as fashionable as she is in this film. <laughs> oh, man. So we're talking about, of course, a movie with Stephen Tobolowsky in it. Um, oh. We say erotic thriller. <laughs> Stephen Tobolowsky, you think of him every time. Was Wayne Knight not available? Peter Friedman, Stephen Weber, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Bridget Fonda. Single white female. Hetty appeared to be the perfect roommate, but appearances... Where the hell have you been? ...can be deceiving. Nothing she told me was true. And living with a roommate... I've had it with you. ...can be murder. Hetty! Don't let me come get you! Bridget Fonda, Jennifer Jason Leigh... Single white female... Be careful, she's crazy. Rated R. Oh, uh, god damn. Yeah, 92 yeah. is the year of the stalker. We started with Hand the Rocks the Cradle. Uh, right. What if Nanny from Hell, Unlawful Entry, yeah. Cop from Hell, Poison Ivy, Teenage Friend from Hell. And we got two more. One of them is single white female roommate from Hell. She doesn't do the dishes, and now they're ants. <laughs> so, Diana, have you ever had a female roommate? Yes. Okay, so 
how long did it take for you to start taking your clothes off in front of them and hanging out in your underwear? Was it like the interview or did you like wait a whole day? Oh, a whole day. Um, and then we started with the pillow fights. Hell yeah. Right. Because yeah. you got to get down to the underwear for the sexy slow-mo pillow fights. And then eventually, you know, she tackles me and then we start making out in front of the window with the, has the curtains open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's how female roommates, that's how we bond. Well, that's what I've ritual. learned from movies. And that's what this movie tells me. Because <laughs> it is like, no, it is like a short, short montage. And then she's just like, well, time to take off my clothes in front of you. Yeah. That, no, that, 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 I never took my clothes off in front of any of my roommates. Me neither. <laughs> well, female. I probably me either. Did. I probably did. No. But for a joke that wouldn't hold up today. Love being able to admit this now. I think I saw this when I was too young. And I remember we rented it mm. at a slumber party at your one friend's house whose parents will rent you one rated R movie. This was the newest movie. We rented it. I, I don't want to say I was traumatized, but a bunch of this shit like really burned in my brain seeing this at 12 years old, which I mm. probably should not have. And uh, including the What's violence. What doing with her mouth and that man? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you could kill someone with a high heel. Yeah, I remember it very vividly as a result of watching this around a bunch of prepubescent horny boys thinking we were getting something much more erotic than this. Mm. There, yeah. There's a lot of nudity in this film. Mm -hmm. Not that much straight up eroticism compared to other erotic. There's like one roles. sex scene. And then followed yeah. by immediate murder. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I don't feel like calling it an erotic thriller is not really fair. It's a thriller. I mean, yeah. it's definitely. I mean, that's just how it's, it's written about it, on the internet. And it was yeah, marketed. Fonda, yeah. Oh, it's marketed way sexier mm. than yeah. it actually is. It's just that, yeah, Bridget Fonda needs a roommate. She gets Jennifer Jason Lee, who's, you know, kind of odd and has like the story about her twin dying. And then she starts turning herself into Bridget Fonda. First, yes. she gets really clingy and codependent and I, then she starts turning herself into her and trying to take her life away from her. I, I spent a lot of my life confusing Bridget Fonda and Jennifer Jason Lee because of this <laughs> I can see that as uh, from from a little kid they're both in Tarantino movies I'm so confused uh, yeah but 10 years ago Jennifer Jason Lee did such an amazing performance in Fast Times in Richmond High and mm. It's not until this film that I really think she got a chance to really shine again, which is mm. a darn shame. Yeah, she's sort of been around and doing some indie stuff, like Last Exit to Brooklyn. She's all controversial and all that. But yeah, that's true. This does make her into a bigger star. She's a hell of a freaking actress, man. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's a compliment to her that you would confuse them because, <laughs> yeah, they did a good job on this, both of them. But the 1992 computer stuff is so funny. <laughs> the idea of like, I'm going to use my modem to dial 911 and have a chat with the police. Help me, police. <laughs> Period. Enter. Yes. And let's use our fashion programming. Push enter. Push enter again. And enter. <laughs> oh, you've designed the fashion. Good job. <laughs> yeah. There's a... There's a lot of like, you know, it's good. And she's got this boyfriend who's like on again, off again. And it's like, he's so obviously needs just dump him. No, you know what? Let Jennifer Jason Lee steal him. It doesn't even matter. He sucks. He sucks. And uh, when I lived in Why is, North. Is her life worth taking? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, that the apartment building's fantastic. I uh, guess it's worth killing for the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. We got to mention the apartment building because when I lived in North Carolina, I could see cows from my house and <laughs> as such i could get a house cheaper and bigger than normal and my house in north carolina 
was smaller than this apartment in New York City. I mean, this yeah. is like a $10 million apartment in 1992. Yeah. It's a gorgeous apartment in a gorgeous building they're like oh it's a little bit shabby like oh my god i would absolutely hell yeah i'm gonna kill someone with a high heel first i'll learn to wear high heels and then i will murder with them. oh my god and yeah the, the movie so, made an impact enough what do we, do we have a term for that where like single white female became a descriptor of a certain type of person for a little while yeah there. Was, yeah, people will talk about that as yeah. If you say, it and was I like don't a mean white a, female a white single lady. I mean like a yeah, yeah. No, if you say like I, you know, I don't talk to so and so anymore. It got like into a single white yeah. female thing. Jessica's copying me, mean. totally doing single white female. Yeah, as opposed to just being a descriptor. Of yes. Yeah. Single white female seek same in that or whatever. Just like. Which is what it's a reference to. Which an Asian lady. The kids might need to, might need to describe to them. So I'm glad you said it. Yeah, it's referencing yeah, a see, classified before, ad. Yes, before the internet, if you wanted to find a roommate, first you asked your friends and asked them to ask their friends and people at work, and then you would put a classified in the newspaper, which you could either go in person or call them on the phone, mm-hmm. and then they would. It was by usually the letter or the line, so you would have little abbreviations. But then I, you can't call this SWF because we has SFW coming in a couple of years. So It'll good. be very confusing. So good. Yeah, but you would have to abbreviate everything just like a really early text because you paid by the letter. <laughs> and that's how you got randos show up in your apartment and be like, can I move can't, in with you? And you'd be imagine. like, okay. That's you meet them the one time and fuck, they know where you live now. uh, And if you don't pick them, they're going to come anyway and steal your mail. As you're describing uh, how to work a newspaper ad, I'm just picturing, I was there, Gandalf. I was there 3,000 years ago. (laughs) Oh, when you went down to the newspaper and they had like, it was like graph paper for each letter to fill it in because there's a maximum you can fit per line. And that's how you write out the ad. I am a million years old. And I, I am from the first age before the age of man. When you Google the, the when previous you, millennia, when you Google this movie on uh, you Google this movie, look on the wiki, look on the IMDb, it does describe. It is always described as an erotic thriller. But I like that Roger Ebert said, like, no, nah, this is kind of a neat take on the slasher. And like, hmm. yeah, yeah, that's because okay. it wasn't a bad slumber party watch, by the way. But like, we were all kind of transfixed, despite like having no basis no relation to this woman or her plight at all as 12 year old boys <laughs> but 12 yeah. year old boys don't sympathize with fashion designers in luxurious new york apartments not with those kind of processors uh uh-uh. <laughs> couldn't run any of that on our pc but uh yeah made a made a ton of money and uh i love that jennifer jason lee got best villain at the mtv movie awards cuz uh, it's not the kind of uh, not the kind of role you typically win oscars for unless you're glenn close yeah which she didn't. She didn't win. Which she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but she was nominated? <sighs> Glenn Close has been nominated eight times. Wow. Yeah, she got nominated for Fatal Attraction. Yeah. yeah, she's the biggest Oscar loser of all time. Eight eight nominations to wins. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. And she better not die before they give her an honorary or, you know, I burn things. And But single white female, what do you think? Worth watching 2022? You know, it's tough because there have been so many other variations on, you know, stalker movies. But there are like there kind of been attempts at remaking this and none of them seem to do very well. 
I think it's important from a historical basis. I mean, this movie walked so the entire Lifetime channel could run. That's that's what I was going to say. Like uh, a lot of these genres that we talked about with Unlawful Entry and Hand That Rocks the Cradle would be taken over by made-for-TV movies, but you can still yeah. see this on, uh, I think, Paramount+. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, content. it's like, I don't know if there's a better version of this. That's the problem. Uh, there have been other versions, but I don't know if there's a better one. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's move on to TV because we still have so much to talk about in just 1992 alone. Oh, my God. We went so long on movies when I know we want to talk for like 16 hours about those guys. Yes. I could talk for 90 hours or at least 90 half hours episodes about the next show. (laughs) Uh, The next show being The Larry Sanders Show on HBO. Yes. So this is great radios, but I not only have Larry Sanders, the book. Mm-hmm. which is written in character as an autobiography. Yeah. But also the entire DVD collection, which Ooh. is one of the best... I, I, no, I'm going to throw it out there. Yeah. This is the best complete DVD collection of a TV show I've ever purchased. Yeah. Uh, Gary Shandling put an insane amount of work into the DVD. It, is, it is called out in, the, in Chet Apatow's Gary Shandling documentary. Like, he sort of kind of retracted from work and got super inspired and dug into making this box. Cause these DVDs didn't come out for like years into the DVD. That's not a yeah, genre. They, they the were medium. almost at the trail end of the height of DVDs. And, and, and this is neither here nor there, but it's a little factoid. HBO doesn't actually own this show. So yeah. like, uh, it's on HBO. It's on it. it at, when Gary Shandling died, they're like, we got to settle this and get Larry Sanders on HBO Max. This is, this is okay. ridiculous. This show was synonymous with our network. I bootlegged a bunch of mine from uh, British television. So I just love every time I see the Larry Sanders credits, I just coming up next, Martin Tupper, Seduce is somewhere, <laughs> dream on. Like, I, that's that. <laughs> I bootlegged it because this was so hard to obtain after it was off the air. Uh, but the DVD set is amazing. Extra interviews. Hours. Extra, hours of hours. funny footage, including like very long interviews with several of the people who were on the show. Like and big, he gets long podcast. All the backstage drama, of which there was a ton. And it's a show about backstage drama. Exactly. And he says, uh, you know, the story behind the show is as interesting as the show. And I think he may have a point. Yeah. Because from my perspective, the story of the show is Gary Shandling became kind of a standout tonight, sh- well, tonight show comedian and then a tonight show guest host. And pretty much Conan's job was his to have. He mm-hmm. just turned it like basically walked away from it and Conan got it like Gary Shanley. That was his job period. And he fascinated with this field. He had now become famous for. And if you never saw the Gary Shanley show, this wonderfully surreal (laughs) sitcom parody from back in the day, he's just a much more interesting guy than just a really funny comedian. Again, like your criticism of stay tuned half like every other episode, like half the people in the show are dead. And, <laughs> but it's like, oh, this is, this is an amazing time capsule yes. in the 1990s. This show run ran from 1992 to 1998. And that is the period when I was most into talk shows. I started watching at the tail end of Carson's run because it was like this big cultural event. And the Letterman and then there was all the drama with Jay Leno and Letterman, then Letterman getting his own show, then Conan getting his own show. And I was along for all of that. And I was watching all the time. And to have a TV show explore the backstage dealings of all that was so incredibly 
fascinating to me, but it is very much a creature of the moment. It is bathed in 1992. His first joke on the show, because it starts out with Lowe, is uh, also uh, Clinton being in, on our city. Oh, okay. So, you know. It, I just, it, there's so many jokes. I, like, I put the first one on for me and my dad on HBO Max and just kind of let it run. And they're talking about like everything we're talking about at the top of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Ross Perot's dropped out of the race today. Uh, oh no, he's back in. It's, it's very strange. But uh, there's some strange parts of the DVD commentary that are uh, darker in hindsight. All we have in production so far is what the box will look like. Whereas now you've you've gotten the box, and for all we know, I could have passed away. <laughs> that would be so odd. Now, these, these... Oh no! Uh, I, it, don't watch his comedians in cars getting coffee. It's he has just a great line about that and. Dead at 60, no one, ah, I can't even, I'm not even going to paraphrase it, but it's a great episode. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a, a fantastic show, behind the scenes showbiz. I, he never... was willing to get honest. Uh, yeah. Gary yeah. Shandling was willing to tap into emotions to such an extent that the writers kept calling the character Glary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny that we've talked so many times before about like movies about movie making and oh, it's about Holly Weird and how it just they feel so up their own butts and so fart sniffy. And the show manages to not quite ever get there. I no. guess there's a little bit of moments, but there's there's not like some Studio 60. What we're doing is so important to people. See, when I was so excited for Studio 60 to come mm-hmm. out because I was a fan of this. And if they would have captured the heart of this show, which is a bunch of people who are sometimes bad and then have moments of goodness, yeah, Studio w- 60 could have absolutely worked. But well, everyone well, on the show was oh, a paragon, whereas the yeah. people on this show feel real. Even when they're being just, wackety schmackety, they feel yeah. real. They're, they're, well, they're well people meaning. at a job. Yeah. yeah. Well-meaning people with... They're saving with... the world with these jokes. They're... They're doing their fucking jobs nine to five, just like anybody else. Well, well-meaning people job. with petty ego shit getting in the way. Yeah. yeah. And, but this feels so much more modern because of this. This yes. feels like it inspired The Office. I don't think it did, but The Office is a sitcom about working, and this is a sitcom about working. It, it kind of it, it inspired the laugh trackless sitcom because it does let you live in a lot of awkward moments. Mm-hmm. It, oh, like yeah. seriously yeah. a thousand times someone will come into larry's office and he'll just like shut the door Artie, and he'll just surely sh- shut the door on someone who asked a very serious question <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. it's played for laughs but there's no laugh track i think the show's brilliant and i fell right back into it immediately trying yeah, to- i i watched 10 episodes and i didn't have time to do that but it is so amazing that i just got wrapped up into it and my comment at the start of our discussion of this was I did talking terrific television. We covered the Sopranos. And as that was coming to a close, we kept debating what show we may or may not want to cover next. I think you could make a fantastic podcast about the Larry Sanders show where you talk about the nineties. Like this Mm. is so specific to this moment in time. Let's delve into the history. Let's delve into the backstage drama. Let's delve into the drama that was going on the Larry Sanders show with Gary Shandling in the real world as this was being made. I think a fantastic podcast it, could it, be it, made about this show. I get it confused sometimes because it would often mirror real life. David Letterman comes on the Larry Sanders show and tells Larry, Tom Snyder's taking over after me. He had not actually announced that yet. That was, it was played that was as a, a joke. joke. 
it, it was played as a joke. Uh, Ellen, right before she came out, fucked Larry Sanders. And uh, <laughs> I, like just watching, it was surreal. In the first season, there's Robin Williams on, and he's, where? He's Robin Williams. He's huge. And they go to break. And he's like, is that okay? I'm just, just, just trying to do okay over here. And like, that is how he really was. And somehow was playing yeah. that on Larry Sanders' show. Like, it, and it, every once in a while, like, wait, am I watching something real or scripted at this moment? What the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does not feel like a 1992 show. It feels no. much closer to a 2002 or after show. That's why I was 100%. so shocked to see it come up. And just the cast is all ringers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Shandling, but Jeffrey Tambor, ripped Amazing character. One of the best characters amazing. of all time. It's Artie. so amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. The character of Artie lives rent free in my brain yep you know oh my god so uh, so great uh and, and then I, like all these hey it's that guy's penny johnson wallace langham yes. janine garofalo we got two janine garofalo shows that we get to talk about this year which just proves to me that gen x is here yeah. uh, <laughs> scott thompson came on for a while Marilyn well scott thompson came on in a bit of a debacle that is actually addressed in the mm-hmm. dvd larry or gary shandling yeah. fired his real life girlfriend once they broke up and she yeah. sued and won and i think she's on the dvt <laughs> it's like yeah you know he interviews her about that too yeah. which uh yeah and yeah. He, bob he, odenkirk though we get bob we odenkirk get early, super early. young bob odenkirk we're only i am excited to see him playing a very saul like character as larry's agent yeah and uh, j- just the greatest guest stars, David Duchovny as his love interest. Oh, so oh, bromance. This was a bromance before that was a word in popular use, and they they handle it great. Honestly, I I, I didn't think it was so. Offensive. So one like, two Bob, men not sure of their feelings and kind of being like weirded out by them. When Bobcat Goldthwait set the Tonight Show on fire, the then comes on Larry Sanders and then like uses his real voice, which wasn't happening all the time and they look at the footage of it happening you can't find that footage on youtube it's like only clear on the larry sanders show dvd uh, wow <laughs> so it's i get it confused with real life just becoming kind of pop culture obsessed around this time period obviously i think i'm on board like a season or two away but it was just something me and my dad super enjoyed together and we disappeared into it again this week believe it or not it's jay leno who i think explain the larry sanders appeal the best and how it holds up i mean you watch an old tonight show what is that really maybe it's funny to see drew barrymore when she's 84 years old and here she is talking to jay leno when she's six or whatever it might be hello larry it's drew barrymore but i think the larry sanders show will outlast all of us and the stories are really timeless it's about vanity and pride and all those great sort of shakespearean things so i think he paid a price to be able to go that deep so i think jay's a hundred percent right yeah. there i mean yeah. i've looked up old episodes of the tonight show on youtube and they get like hundreds of views but the larry sanders show is something that can absolutely be enjoyed today as drama as a period piece if 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 you released the Larry Sanders show today for the first time, like time travel it or whatever, people would think it's the most fantastic period piece yeah. since uh, Stranger Things. It would be just like, wow, you did a great job. You really <laughs> are a moment in time. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've never gotten around to Larry Sanders show, which I am shocked to find out my husband has not. <laughs> um, but he he loves The Office. He loves The Rest of Development. Um, we watched some of the thick of it. Curb Your Enthusiasm. I feel like those are all there they do not exist and probably some 30 rock too i would say totally. you wouldn't have any of those yeah. without the the, the laugh track the multi-camera workplace comedy 
begins with Larry Sanders for the most part. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to going back. I also realized, oh, wait, there's a couple seasons I haven't seen. Really? Because Ooh. I was in college and I didn't have HBO. Yeah. And so, so some I, of those I gradually saw over the years because like HBO would run them late at night or right. something. But I have a, like a couple seasons I get to it. Just discover for myself. I'm so happy. I, I uncovered so many unseen episodes when this was released in full because my parents are divorced. Uh, my dad had HBO. My mom didn't. I was a huge fan of the show, but it was like, well, if it's not playing on the weekend when I'm visiting my dad, then I yep. guess I won't see it. So yep. I, 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 missed, I, I missed the last episode and wasn't able to see it for like five years. For five same. fucking years. Same. Same. Uh, but hard recommend. Seriously. Uh, I really also want to recommend, as mentioned, uh, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling on HBO. Yes. Fantastic excellent. documentary on the uh, man. And I'm going to throw this out there. This is Gary Shandling's best work. And I don't yeah. think he ever did another TV show because I don't think he could have ever topped this one. No, it's I, I want to say bittersweetly it's his best work because like can't find a lot of his uncut stand up places like mm-hmm. uh, uh, but it's it, some of it is fucking brilliant, and Judd Apatow's yeah. really good at chronicling that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned the Showtime special, the Gary Shanley Show 25th anniversary special, what? which is where he's pretending to be a talk show host of 25 years, and they <laughs> do a bunch of flashbacks to things that never happened of him being a talk show host. So <laughs> I I think that 100% inspired the show on some level. Hmm. I It's Gary Shandling show will always have a special place in my heart because it is such a weird sitcom. It's so surreal and that he's a guy who lives in a sitcom and he knows and he talks to the audience all the time. Also, the single greatest theme song of all this time. This is the theme to Gary Shandling show. <laughs> yeah. And if Larry Sanders show had a theme song half as good. Uh, just, yeah, just a fantastic, I think something that'll hold, if you, if anybody who gets into showbiz of any era will be transfixed by what occurs on Larry Sanders show. It is. And it's again, at its heart, a great workplace comedy. Yeah. And even if you don't know, I I do wonder how well, like if you don't know who Burt Reynolds is and he means nothing to you, how is it going to feel when he shows up? I'm interested to hear from much, much younger listeners. I think mostly it'll just hold up it's like well he's a famous person you, you that's will, all you gotta know you will think right? uh you will think bruno kirby is one of the most important celebrities in the world by how many appearances oh, oh, oh. <laughs> one, more, one more thing he one is more thing. Or was Love one more thing about the dvd so on the show on the larry sanders show it's a running gad that bruno kirby kept getting bumped from the show yes so as an extra on the dvd box set Kirby was invited to make a part of the making of retrospective featurette. He was dead. But Gary Shanling said that he was bumped so that Greg Kinnear could do it instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a great DVD set. One of the best shows of all time. I hope I don't disappear into it given how much I have to do right now. Secret Service, the show debuts this week. Who gives a shit? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, it was reenactment of real Secret Service cases uh-huh. boosted. By Stephen Ford. Yes, this is how they lost their texts. Son of U.S. President Gerald Ford. Gerald huh. Ford. And uh, okay. a little bit of wrestling news, because it's important. Ron Simmons defeats Big Van Vader for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship on WCW main event to become the first black world champion in professional wrestling history. Take that, hey. junkyard dog. And in Ron Simmons' own words, I'll just say, Damn! God, he has like the best and easiest catchphrase in all of wrestling. 
see the hear the crowd pop for that. And lastly, I just want to get into something I thought was super important at the time and in hindsight. We threw a party, me and my friends, for this this television event. Wow. Nickelodeon begins not airing episodes of the Donna Reed on Saturday night after <laughs> eight o'clock, and instead you get Nick. The snick it. Snick's there. Snick's here. It's sneaking out. Saturday night. Nickelodeon. It's Snick. Snick. We're going to Snick. And you can Snick. It's time to Snick. Now. Just, just that, if you remember being a kid in like, maybe like me, in a one TV household, there is nothing for you at eight o'clock on television. I remember like I would go and read just because like, yeah, why would I bother with television? There's, there's nothing for me to do ever. Cartoon Network is a month and a change away. And Nickelodeon yeah. announces finally, all right, Saturday night we're going to add in a programming block because they were trying to, I think they would call it churn now in the streaming biz. Their viewers age out of Nickelodeon yeah. programming. So why not maybe gear something for, what would you call what would you call the age group? What? Tweens? The Tweens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the marketing was very specific. It was, we are going after children who are old enough to stay up late on a Saturday, but not old enough to drive on a yes. Saturday. And that's why it was like uh, always a blockbuster night because there was nothing to watch of interest for kids. Saturday night was like the death slot for networks. They wouldn't air anything that would interest somebody young. There was nothing. It was a desert. And then along comes Snick and cleverly packages uh, new episodes of Cl- Clarissa Explains It All. For me, I was just there. It, it debuted 30 years ago with the first new episode of Ren and Stimpy and Lord knows how long because they yeah. made six yeah. whole ones distributed out over an entire year. It took forever. Uh, John yeah. Case we finally got the second season. It was actually back. Yes. In the army. I remember that episode specifically. And oh. we were so happy. And that big orange couch thing, like my friend's mom made a snick cake for us because we were all watching it together because we didn't have anything else to watch. Uh, TGIF was like the extent of what you could watch on over the air television during sleepovers. It was videotape video games or just don't watch TV. It's hard to think about. And then it debuts uh, Roundhouse uh, and Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is just an excellent little series. And I, I don't remember... The episode title of the first episode, but I remember the solution to the riddle. It is a hole. Happy? <laughs> what? Okay. I, I think the question was, what can you put in a barrel that is weightless, colorless, and will only make the barrel lighter? I'm going to say a hole. There you go, buddy. Yes. There you go. Yes. You did so it. smart. Handing him a win. But like, uh, yeah, just a, a, a huge deal. And I think ended up showing people like, yeah, kids watch TV after eight. Where did we get the notion that they did not? Sorry, not to go all over the place, but like ALF was primarily canceled because nobody particularly wanted children watching TV after eight o'clock. It wasn't the most coveted audience. They gave kids Saturday morning when adults aren't watching TV in terms of to advertise them. But Nickelodeon opened up this whole new thing. And then all of a sudden you see a lot more. Uh, not cable starts catering to the 10 o'clock uh, demographic on weekends. You get even like young adult shows like Weird Science and Duckman a few years later in USA. All the stuff that was not happening. It was just reruns of shit and SNL on the weekends. Yeah. Do you think this is them finally responding to TGIF? Because that's been around a couple years now, but it's yeah. it's really hit its stride right around 91, 92. Yeah, I don't know. I don't because uh, TGIF, I just, I still don't understand the phenomenon and why we watched it so fervently because uh, there was nothing else on well i know but they, they still on. friday nights 
they call it the Friday night death slot because most people don't watch TV on Friday night, yet most of the sitcoms I revere were on that Friday night slot yeah. because what else am I going to do? Yep. I'm a fucking kid. Because there's nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, so do. quick comments on these shows, though. Are you afraid of the dark? It's interesting Excellent. to me that it came out so close to Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Like they were mm-hmm. released within like a month of each other. Yeah, so, sure. you know, really trying for that anthology horror aimed at children. As I understand it, Are You Afraid of the Dark is generally creepier than Goosebumps. And mm-hmm. uh, they also being on cable, they had more marathons where it was like, OK, just watch tons of are you afraid of the dark right now no i I remember Uh, being pretty hard to find for for at least the first couple years because they didn't really play it during the day it was too edgy to be played too edgy at day ren and stimpy Uh, could be and nobody cared about roundhouse yeah well (laughs) nowadays are you afraid of the dark is a huge merch cow there is there's tons of merch out there it's good it walks a really fine line I, I love Tales from the Crypt, but there's a lot of stupid fucking episodes that just ramp things up because they're on HBO. They're mm-hmm. adaptations of comics I loved, whereas when someone dies of fright, now they die of a, literally a, che- a cheerleader naked with a chainsaw. They change <laughs> stories like that. But for it was so what, it was the opposite for Are You Afraid of the Dark? They would just sort of like, this kid should be dead, but they're just going to pull back on that notion a little bit and have him survive. But it was really creepy, and it felt like there were real stakes. But you can totally show it to your kids without thoroughly creeping them out. Uh, but a great, great vibe. And, and Roundhouse, I don't mean to shit on Roundhouse. It's just like the most desperate theater kid, Kids Incorporated horseshit I've ever seen. And it, ah. it, is, the, uh, it is the step-by-step of this lineup. And, <laughs> and I don't mind saying it. Snick is 30 years old. And it, <laughs> it went on to exist as a block for another 13, 15 years, something like that. Yeah, a block for kids before you had entire cable channels devoted to them. And then video games in 1992. Let's talk a bunch of Game Boy games. Barbie Game Girl. Ah, you see what they did there? I did. I don't care for it. Jetson's Robot Panic. I'm going to guess that takes place in the past. No, Um, no, it's uh. in the future. It's, you know, the standard Jetson's exotic future in which you have such amazing devices as a video phone. Uh, smart watches, a robot that vacuums, 3D printed food. That's uh, ridiculous. We'll never have any of those things. Yeah. But yeah, it's a platformer. And Dr. Franken. Uh, Going after that sweet, sweet public Al domain Franken money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're playing Frankenstein, who they've renamed. And I don't know why, because it's in the public domain. So, but I don't know. They renamed him. He's less Jewish this way. Make a mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's frankenstein i like that i like i like the, the monster but does that have to be so semitic a kingdom and kingdom crusade out on game boy it's a strategy game for the game boy which is pretty darn rare hmm. yes and uh new music releases include uh march or die by motorhead uh take that and party the debut of take that um, I did not realize they were that old. Me neither. I lumped them in with the boy band craze of the early 2000s. I didn't know who they were They're until I found who Robbie Williams was. Uh, yep, and I know. They never quite broke in the U.S. T-R-O-U-B-L-E by Travis Tritt. I think the Chipmunks might have covered that song. That's why I know. But we'll close out the segment, this long segment, with End of the Road by Boys to Men, because it's number one this week. We talked about it, I think, debuting the Boomerang soundtrack yep. uh, a few weeks ago. But uh, stay tuned, people. There's more Eddie Murphy nonsense to talk about in the next segment.
Coming in 2002 with Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland, and it's number one this week. Welcome to 2002, August 12th to the 18th. Uh, other new music releases include American Cheese by Nerf Herder, Cherry Marmalade by Kay Hanley, Gusto by Guttermouth, Lifted or the Story is in the Soul, Keep Your Ear to the Ground by Bright Eyes, The Magnificent, uh, the solo debut of DJ Jazzy Jeff. Hell yeah, why didn't I know that existed? Uh, October Road by James Taylor, Rebirth by Keith Sweat, and This, this Side by Nickel Creek. Welcome to 2002, everyone. Yeah, I, we all have a lot less to talk about. Yes. <laughs> we have some really good movies, but I don't think we're going to go off as yeah. much as we did for Larry Sanders. Not even a bunch like of new, I believe that the biggest news entertainment this week is Justin Timberlake will give his first solo performance. <gasps> yes, in the coming weeks. We'll talk about that when we get to it. Uh, movies of 2002, August 12th through the 18th. Triple uh, X is still number one at the box office because America has no taste or not a lot of options. Not yeah. not There's not great options this week either. Some of them are. This documentary is great, and I'm glad we got it. We do have an all time wonderful documentary. For real. This is really, really good. The Kid Stays in the Pictures, starring Robert Evans, based on his book. He is narrating. Yeah. The story of his life. If you're watching The Offer, shit, that guy who plays Osmandius in the in, uh, the Watchmen movie is a wonderful Robert Evans. The Kid Stays in the Picture is a great documentary. It was the beginning of the golden era of the new Hollywood. And me, I was lucky to be part of it. My name is Robert Evans. Stardom found him. Big splash. New York businessman dives into pool and comes out movie star. Hollywood seduced him. When is the next actor and a bad one at that come out running a studio? Success defined him. Godfather. Paramount didn't want to make the film. Rosemary's Baby. Oh, so Chinatown. What couldn't he do? He's Robert Evans. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I always have to point out, yeah, we've hit another Documentary Now episode. This is their only two-parter. Mr. Runner-Up, My Life is an Oscar Bridesmaid. Oh, wow. And it is... So good. Documentary now just dropped off of Netflix, but I found it on YouTube. It's Bill Hader as... And I believe as, it comes back in September. My dad really wanted to know. Yeah, uh, it does. There's uh, a couple of great scenes where uh, they've got talking heads like uh, Peter Bogdanovich bet him that a uh, movie's not going to open. And or if I won, I'd get, you know, a case of champagne. And if he won, I'd wear a little neckerchief every day for 50 years. And that's where we are now. And he's wearing a little neckerchief because he was Peter Bogdanovich <laughs> and that was his thing. Anyway, uh, documentary now is the best show ever. But Kids Stays in the Picture is such a good documentary yep. because they keep it interesting even when there's just photos, when yep. they don't have footage of stuff. They do this really neat, like, animating the photos in different planes so that you're always visually interested. Yeah, and, and, you, and it's one of those things, turn it on, listen to it like a podcast. Because it's mostly Robert Evans talking, which is transfixing. Yeah, because he <laughs> talks like, nobody else yeah, i mean baby. he's got that voice already mm -hmm. that you just heard they gave him a cartoon show for fuck's sake based they gave him a cartoon just show. on his character and how he talks check out kids says in the pictures yeah and it's just it is one of those stranger than fiction stories of just mm -hmm. like oh here's a good looking guy and this classic actress just decides i'm gonna put you in a movie and he sucks as an actor he's terrible but he's good at wheeling dealing baby and mm -hmm. he could spot talent and he, he's willing to go all in on really stupid ideas that look really stupid at the beginning and 
then they fucking pay off. And and the 70s in Hollywood is just like every story is fucking ridiculous and involves an awful lot of crime. It involves an awful lot of crime, too. Yes. And cocaine. Uh, Yeah. Oh, the pharmaceutical grade cocaine. Yeah. That brought him down. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Did you know that's a thing? I didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, not anymore. Sadly, mm. oh, all mine is cut with pixie sticks. Uh, yeah, so please watch Kids Stays in the Picture. It is one of the best documentaries about seventies Hollywood in particular. This next movie, though, Ooh, I, which I have, I know I bought in a you know one of my two thousand two DVD buying sprees. You're why you don't you remember the blockbuster you buy. Two previously viewed movies, you get like two frees for like 13 bucks. You get four DVDs. It was exciting. Some, uh. And I got some good movies like that. And But I had never watched this until today. Mm. And I wish I had something redemptive to say, but I do not. And nope. I nope. was, Alec Baldwin is in this uncredited, apparently. You asked for his name yep. to be taken off it. Alien, this cast, oh my God, everybody deserves better. Uh, Aliena Douglas. Uh, Lilo Brancato, John Cleese, Peter Boyle, Burt Young, Pam Greer, James Reborn, Luis Guzman, Jay Moore, Joe Penaliano, Rosario Dawson, Randy Quaid, Eddie Murphy. It's time, people. One of the not- biggest, notorious disasters of all time, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. On the moon, in the future, one man is going undercover. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at me. And he'll need all the help he can get. Whoa. Let's get it right this time. Uh-oh. Now, the biggest comedy ever is out of this world. Eddie Murphy. It's a cryogenic chihuahua. For two minutes on Dufro, it should be... The Adventures of Pluto Nat- Ooh. Oh, my God. So let's talk about... Here's the, the single saddest thing about this, is that this destroyed the career of its director, Ron yes. Underwood, who made Tremors and City Slickers. Yes. And those movies rule, and now he is making Christmas movies for Jenny McCarthy. ABC Family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, 10 years ago he was. Now he's not working at he's, all. He's I making hope a, he could just require a ton of TV I hope he just work. Retired. But like, yeah, he like yeah. as we discovered on this show, Tremors and City Slickers are way better to rewatch now. Just City Slickers in particular was super surprising. I was ready to hate that and like this is great. This is yep. great. I had a pretty goddamn good career and is not bitter about it. I read an interview a couple interviews with him about this specifically. How do we describe this? Is a movie that even like the trades were writing about years beforehand because it was on it was shelved for two years and a lot of reshots had to occur. A script that existed since 1983. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I find that bizarre just because like I went sort of I defended Mom and Dad Save the World, but this is a lot like that. A decade mm-hmm. later, a lavish yet joyless fucking film <laughs> this We're... is expensive mm-hmm. but lazy yeah yeah it's it looks like... really expensive that's a good point we, we've been talking about this is the point where big sets start to be phased out for digital sets this has some really big sets yep. i mean so much of it looks like all the mars stuff from total recall like big <sighs> sets it, but that's actually one of my problems with the film okay this is your standard blade runner future film okay mm-hmm. everything looks like they copied notes from blade runner yeah the name of the movie is the adventures of pluto nash it should be called the adventure of pluto nash <laughs> why isn't this a flash gordon future why is yeah. this blade runner future this should be the ray gun jetpack crazy 1950s future on steroids it's future a pretty, if you're naming uh, it, it is a pretty boring future pretty boring 
depiction of the future. That would be cool. Yeah. Has anyone ever bothered to try to do like 30s retrofuturism yeah. in a movie and just just have it be that's the aesthetic? Or instead of shoulder pads, you just have like two rings on each shoulder. Oh, that'd be yeah. So dope. I love that. I mean, yeah. Silver jumpsuits for miles, man. Uh, but a big sci fi is... adventure comedy oh. starring Eddie Murphy. Captain in the World of Tomorrow. That oh, is the there you go. There you we go. have ever came to the 1930s future. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this is so poorly paced and so it's basically unwatchable. Yes. Yeah. It, I, it, I, it I is unwatchable. This, I, I yeah. do not even find this to be an enjoyable bad movie. Okay? Oh, no. no, no this no. movie cost $100 million. It made $7 million at the box $7 office. Million. And that is $6,999,999.99 too much. <laughs> this should have made one penny. You know how if a waiter gives you really horrible service, you tip a penny? Like all of America should have tipped this film one penny <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's so i mean and yeah it is he he's a smuggler and he runs a nightclub so he's moon. not on going undercover like the fucking but trailer say he is no like what the he's f- not what he's the f- not and then like you know he's runs a, uh, runs afoul of the mob but then it opens with a scene of him running afoul of the mob but then making everything okay because they're flashes friends forward for no fucking reason they like don't even bother introducing their character he just sort of walks up and is like hello i'm pluto nash i guess this this movie genuinely has a feeling of being improvised because nothing <laughs> nothing means anything nothing leads to nothing like the it, climax of this motion picture is buying a bar from your own clone yeah <laughs> that's it that's the climax but what what was eddie murphy out to do to begin with nothing like i don't know and 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 part of the irritating thing about it is it's one of those films where you're told this character is smart and funny and charismatic but never shows it nope. never mm-hmm. shows it what is pluto's nash's personality why should we like him everybody does Everybody does. People keep saying, oh, wow, you're Pluto Nash. And when Pluto Nash isn't around, people are talking about him. Everybody is having an awful time here, with the possible exception of Rosario Dawson, who is fine, but poor her. Right when I I was loading the wiki on my phone, there's this giant explanation of Joe Penaliano, who is diplomatically saying, the director is not at fault here, but some people were doing something different. And essentially, this is... It's interesting to talk about after we our discussion Boomerang, Eddie Murphy kind of taking a different approach to being a leading man. And I can sort of see why maybe he doesn't want to be Axel Foley again, mm. a cop mm. in space. Maybe he wants to do something different. And this script had other actors, including Harrison Ford, attached to it. Seemed like a no-brainer. Hey, a space-based cop movie. And Eddie Murphy kept demanding the scripts be rewritten. He's like, I don't stop trying to write funny. I'll bring the funny. I'll improvise and bring the funny and so that was a lie that was a lie <laughs> and, and, and you see him sort of trying but not trying very hard because big spoiler alert at the end of the movie when he meets his clone like oh this is the eddie murphy we wanted you get to see him he's in the movie but he doesn't show up until the very very fucking end this the loud laughing smart mouth eddie murphy that is genuinely charismatic doesn't exist throughout this entire film and nothing anybody's doing at any given moment makes any fucking sense at all Mm-mm. And some of uh, poor John Cleese, poor Luis Guzman, yeah. poor Ileana Douglas. Yeah. It's, There's it, a lot of talent in this talentless movie. Jay Moore, I think, doing a decent job singing. And and I, I thought I remembered him telling a story. That's lazy. So it's like, okay, I'm Pluto Nash. I'm going to give you a speech. Uh, be true to yourself. And being true to yourself means doing changing uh, your name covers <laughs> of 
at this point, 200 year old Frank Sinatra songs. Yeah. Okay. Like something that had been written for over 20 years feels so poorly thought out. And, and yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like they had 17 different scripts and they just started picking pages at random. And it's in, in the, the visuals, which clearly cost something are so Mm. dull and gray and drab and lifeless. Everything is wrong with this movie and it's not fun. Not fun at all. I, I love when we get to talk about a really bad movie and it's redeemable and how fun it is. This is not even slightly fun. It is a slog, 1,000%. Yeah. One of the worst things I've watched. One of the most boring things I've watched. For things that shouldn't be boring. Randy Quaid. What a terrible <laughs> character. What a terrible character. When he tries to walk like a robot and like, this movie costs $100 million. This is how you convey uh, he's a robot? This is awful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is like, it has, it, it's one of those where I do look for the redeeming quality. Like, is it fun to watch with friends when you're drunk? No. 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 It, it feels, it's not it feels even four like, hours oh, long. Watch, no. Watch this scene because at least this scene's got a good action beat in it. Or No. I can't think no. of one it's just scene. Agonizing. Yeah, I can't think of one scene where you could cut it out, put it on YouTube, and it would be like, yeah, this is worth yeah. a like. Nope. Not one and scene. Almost all of its jokes involve fucking robots or... <laughs> sex seriously they all are like sex robot jokes those are its big swings at humor it is all bad and there's there's all these moments all of these moments where you just i felt the director like eddie say something funny and he doesn't sometimes he'll just smile but not like a eddie murphy smile it, like he's just trying to be a legit leading man and he and oh it's so excruciating and the way, the way i thought i heard jay well, Moore why describe, do you he, try to be a legit leading man in a film called the adventures of pluto nash if you're going for that title you need to go balls to the walls retro or balls to the wall wacky or something eddie murphy loves sci-fi i found like he would have fucking done that he like loves star trek loves planet of the apes love star i like i don't know man but i think this is the other thing i read he wouldn't block any of his scenes. I thought I remember Jay Moore saying like he would literally drive a golf cart like from underground, shoot his take and leave. All the other actors did their scenes. So he's not, if you read about sets where you get good improv out of people, that's not really how that works. Uh. Just leaving um, and, and leaving everyone else to shoot shots around you. But it's Eddie Murphy, kind of the height of his power, maybe the height of his hubris. And uh, he suffered the consequences. I think it was all a little downhill from here. I think it's definitely, I mean, we're we're already into the downhill. I guess 2000, we had Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. Mm-hmm. And 2001, we had Shrek. And it's like, okay. And he's doing really well. I feel like you can't really count Shrek because it's not Eddie Murphy vehicles no. necessarily. But... Yeah, now we're looking at where the Eddie Murphy vehicles. We the, got a, the family a friendly movie stretch. star. Yeah, we had Doctor Doolittle too. We had last year, and this we've had Showtime. We got I Spy, Daddy Take Care, Haunted Mansion. Uh, uh, and, and we're just in the slide. We're just in the slide. Yeah, I thought it was of, so odd. We, I feel like we, he doesn't care, so why should I? We're not at the very bottom, no. but it's within sight. No. And, I, I mean, I feel like this should be the bottom because this is the worst movie he's ever been a part of. Yeah. Including the one where he was randomly edited in with Dudley Moore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Golden Child is a thousand times better than this. And that was considered a terrible film. I think I'd rather go back and watch Meet Dave again. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, yeah, leaning into family-friendly movie stardom. I don't know. He just, yeah, he's, Eddie Murphy is bored, and I he worked harder in Bowfinger. And here's the like, I didn't know. I didn't expect. I didn't know the twist ending was coming. Hadn't read about this movie. Hadn't seen it. Turns out the big bad is Eddie, a, a clone of Pluto Nash. And so finally, Eddie Murphy is playing another character in an Eddie Murphy movie, which I shouldn't have had to wait that long for. And that other character he's playing is the Eddie Murphy I wanted. It's <laughs> it's so tragic. But uh, I, yeah. look, that Dolomite movie is incredible, and Eddie yeah, Murphy seems to have found Dolomite. himself again. And like, he's even had fucking hilarious shot, smaller shots in other movies. But this is fucking weird. And I, I just, yeah. I don't want to say like Eddie Murphy has to do what I like all the time. He clearly should enjoy his work, but he doesn't feel like he's enjoying this at all. Mm-mm. And what you read about it, he wasn't really around, other than like demanding rewrites. Even though I love the directors, like he's saying Eddie Murphy fucked it up. He's like. Unbelievably nice guy, super talented, great to be around. And if you read interviews with a uh, what's his name, Ron, Ron Underwood, mm-hmm. just takes all the blame, knowing what you're making isn't working and you can't mm-hmm. fix it. And there's a hundred million dollars in the line, just agonizing. So, and I wish the movie was like more Plan Ninety fun, so there could be like yeah, yeah, recreations, and we could have a great behind the scenes. But it just doesn't fucking matter. This movie sucks. Sucks. Yeah, it's- yeah. As much as we're in the slide, not at the bottom of the slide, I feel like when they make the Eddie Murphy biopic, this might be the nadir. This might be the, yeah. the end of the second act, the horrible moment of, oh my God, what have I become? Yeah, I don't think the audience will get, you know, a thousand words to be shorthand for his downfall, but they will understand Ooh. Pluto Nash because that is pretty, it's a notorious film. And it, it, it for reasons, for, for reasons. very good reasons. It it's does. unwatchable. It deserves to disappear. Moving on to a much better film. Let's do a much better film that is just a perfectly average sports movie that is enjoyable for the whole family. Phase on Love, uh, Micah Borum, Sano Lake, uh, Matthew Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, and Kate Bosworth in Blue Crush. This summer, if you want to be the best, these ways are for the big boys. You think you can serve it for real? You know it. You have to take the biggest risk. Take a single wave like that, and you put yourself on the map. Yeah, Blue Crush, ladies and gentlemen. Not a great film, but like a perfectly fine, like in the wake of Fast and the Furious, kind of like a, a, a movie for teens. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's a sports Beach movie. Film. It cost it cost a quarter of what Pluto wow. Nash cost, and it actually turned quite a decent profit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a surfing movie, but it's got female protagonists, and that that's it. It's just about like trying hard to do well at something, and then you practice and you have maybe a montage or two and hope this thing almost distracted you but nope that's not what's important what's important is friends and trying hard and and then there you go it's based on a a magazine article by susan orlean (laughs) yes Um, meryl streep yeah we will talk about her more this year really thank you oh oh yeah she's off doing drugs and trying to kill people good job susan orlean actually she tweets drunk pretty often she's a lot of fun (laughs) a writer i enjoy but yeah it's fine it's one of those like i don't know why i thought it was just like a dumb teen movie and didn't realize no it's a dumb sports movie Mm -hmm. but yeah you know she's a female surfer and female surfers often take a lot of shit because uh, you'd be surprised how jockey surf bros are. They're very jockey. Watch Point Break. I'm not surprised. But it's just like, they, I, 
I watched this back. A couple of my friends were like, this is actually pretty okay, pretty good. Yeah. And like, uh, I stand by what we said then. Like, if I was a young young girl, I would have fucking loved this movie. It's not embarrassing. Yeah. It's not. It's not as emba- yeah. like as embarrassing as I thought the trailers were making it look. But uh, it's perfectly okay. And uh, yeah. even and got a straight to video sequel many many years later. Yeah, and I mean, it's got a whole bunch of real real pro surfers in it. It's got some beautiful footage from Hawaii. What do you want, man? Mm. Yeah, Blue Crush. Blue yeah, Crush. it was fine. I was pleasantly surprised. And then as we move on to television of 2002, August 12th to the 18th, Titus Ends, a, a show I feel like I watched a lot of, but never on purpose. It's still sort <laughs> yeah. of like, a, if it's after 8, the Fox Network is usually on because The Simpsons is on at 7.30. And it was a pretty interesting sitcom didn't hate it a lot of a lot of, a lot of monologuing and we hmm. eventually seen a ton well, it's of other based shows. on his stand-up act so yeah. there would be yeah no i mean but like you know it was like black and white sequences where he would just talk to the camera for minutes at a time and i think he yeah. literally turned a light out every time the episode end ended like yeah. narrating his own show but stacy keach and uh that uh, little redhead kid from uh christmas story forget his name four four seasons yeah when a season is more than 20 episodes, that's, yeah. I, for, I remember kind of liking it, yeah. Yeah, for, for a show, there's so many shows, it's like, this guy is a real misanthrope. And they usually suck, and they usually star stand-ups, and they suck balls. And this one was like, yeah, it's better. I think he was a guy who was trying to do better, but still had a dad that was a gigantic piece of shit. And I love yeah. Stacey Keach. Um, oh, hell yeah. Also this week, it's our first reboot of uh, Masters of the Universe. Yeah, I think it is. It, I believe um, no, it definitely is. Yes. Well, there's the new adventures had... of He-Man, but it was the same shit. It's the Cartoon Network reboot. I am Adam, Prince of Eternia, defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous. <laughs> That is a significant difference between Adam, uh, the Prince, and He Man. Yeah, you know this is this is how you do a reboot. Honestly, they looked at the original. Uh, they brought up some interesting questions, like, "Hey, maybe He Man and Adam should have a different physique. Maybe there should be a reason why He Man has a secret identity. Because if anyone finds out that Adam is He Man, he'll just be murdered while he's helpless." I think He Man um, is uh, that muscular guy with the Prince Valiant haircut. The guy in the pink tunic? Yeah, I think that's He-Man. He doesn't even have glasses to hide him like Clark Kent. Poor guy. But yeah, without the nostalgia goggles, I think this show is actually watchable. Yeah. Whereas He-Man 83 is unwatchable, as I have oh, literally yes. tried five oh, yes. times to get through a single episode, and I have never done it. It's awful. I have always, <laughs> no doubt, I can't do this. Nope. Kevin but Smith's reboot, watch- very good. Very good, but this this I but this is one of those dilemmas, right? It's twenty years later. You're running this. I think it was airing at like seven p.m. on a weekend on Cartoon Network, and that whole opening that is great. Like uh, I am Adam, and then boom, like missiles hit him, and it's like fuck this intro. We're doing something else. <laughs> that has to be lost on anybody under twenty years old. Hundred percent on on Cartoon yeah. Network. And I remember hearing from people my age, like it's actually really good, and like well, too bad it's on Saturdays evenings on Cartoon Network because I'll never fucking watch it. And I didn't. Yeah, it only lasted two seasons. And the reason was it wasn't selling enough toys. You know, that's what these TV shows are designed to do. And 
it was straddling the demographic divide too unevenly. So mm-hmm. people were buying toys and the adult toy market just wasn't as big in 2002. As I it is today. remember I bought stupidly back in early days of buying things on the internet. You, I would find like, you know, I would call them loser toys. Like, Oh look, earthworm Jim mm-hmm. from the, t- the Saturday morning cartoon show that didn't last more than one season. I'll buy these for like 20 cents. Like that, shipping to me and I, I bought a bunch of these figures actually like once the show was canceled i don't know whatever happened to them but i yeah i got a bunch of cheap master of the universe figures reboot uh master of the universe figures anywho mucha lucha also debuts this week yep it's allegedly the very first all flash animated show on broadcast television right um, hmm. um it's uh literally means a lot of wrestling and it's about a bunch of wrestling figures. And there was a uh, 2004 series of action figures based upon these characters who you could detach their limbs and attach them to other characters' limbs to make your own freakish monstrosity of a character. <laughs> that is something I did with my toys when I was young. I would like oh, unscrew yeah, yeah. the torso of one G.I. Joe and screw it to the other. So it's cool that someone made an actual toy line about that. Hmm. And uh, I've never heard a, a Nero Wolf mystery. That yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I watched these. What? Yeah, this was uh, it's on A and E. I think they did a couple TV movies first, and then they were really popular. So they spun them off into a, a TV show with uh, Maury Chaykin and Timothy Hutton. Who's the other guy? Yeah, Timothy Hutton. I had to look it up. Yeah, he's uh he's an old old school detective in like the thirties. Yep, uh, rather uh, portly gentleman who likes everything very specific, is a good fan of fine dining, and he helps out the police solve mysteries. I was uh, recommended this book by someone in college who matched that description to the word. And yeah, she really loved the series, and I've been meaning to read it for Wheeze His 25 years now. I haven't got around to it, but it's supposed to be an excellent series of books. Mm. Yep. Yeah. This. Well, oh, okay. So they were... I'm looking it up now. So the the uh, Nero Wolf novels go back to the 30s, and the show was somewhere in the 40s and 50s. I remember it just had really nice production design. It looked really good. So they shot it in pretty. I think they might have shot it in HD, which is not a big thing for 2002. Mm. And it just it looked good. It looked very rich. Like I could just sit there and look at the furniture and just be happy about that. And also, there's a mystery big deal. <laughs> yeah, you want to see some vintage sets, Di? Okay. All right, and then uh, video games of 2002. Huh, Beach Spikers for GameCube? Yeah, this leans into the uh, tantalizing nature of women's beach volleyball as much as a 2002 Nintendo GameCube game can. But it's Sega, right? Like it, I I thought they were going to try and do what they did for Sega Soccer Slam or all those other... I can't think of them now, but uh, something yeah. arcadey. It just doesn't look that good. No, you control two players at the same time, which I always find a bit difficult. Um, and then, then you got Duke Nukem Advance on GBA, which is impressive. It's an engineering feat. This got great reviews in 2002 because it was just like, wow, uh, this is, you know, uh, 15 16 years before the switch so to have this 3d gaming experience in your hand was blowing people away um it's an engineering feat in 2002 i don't see why you'd ever play it today speaking of don't know why you ever play today buffy the vampire slayer on xbox i think honestly of the polygon era this is one of the highest rated games based on a tv show 
It got very good reviews, and I think it was written by the Buffy people. And does it have the Buffy voice actors in it? No, no. I don't think so. Mm. But yeah, it was uh, very positively received, and I think got an Xbox Greatest Hits thing because it was an Xbox exclusive for some reason. I'd all I, I back when it was available, I hadn't seen Buffy yet. I didn't get to see Buffy for another ten years. Okay, it looks like it has the original voice cast with, but it looks like someone named. Gisela Loren is voicing Buffy. Mm, okay, I see. So they couldn't get Sarah Michelle Gellar for whatever reason. Scream movies, but I, I yeah, I've always wanted to play like a, the missing piece of Buffy, and this is like a I think it's got a, like a novel released on, alongside it, so it's an original Buffy story somewhere in the canon. Buffy fans tend to prefer Chaos Bleeds, the sequel, yes. and this is not considered canon oh, okay. according to them. But it is if if you want voice acting by the Buffy cast, mm. yeah. You get it. All right. And uh, let's close out this segment with uh, Lover, I Don't Have Love by Bright Eyes. Because Diana picked this. No, I, I don't know what I would have picked. Yeah. Uh, since it's a good song, it came out this week. Let's go for it. Yeah, <laughs> let's go for it. Because uh, we got to get to 2012 as soon as we can. Because there's just so much to talk about. Don't move. I want a lover I don't have to love. I want a girl who's just out to give a fuck. You're the kid with the chemicals. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of August 12th through 18th, getting towards the end of The Amazing Summer of 1982 with, I'm going to say it, one of the best movies about being a teenager that has ever been made. And it is 40 years old and... I would love to hear from teenagers seeing this now and telling me if it still applies to their lives because it is 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, directed by Amy Heckerling, written by Cameron Crowe. He famously went uh, back to high school undercover and just, you know, went not giving a shit about his own high school life, just taking in the culture of high schoolers from, you know, a little bit of a distance and writing about it. And, I mean, it stars so many people. Phoebe Cates is an absolute icon in this movie but also jennifer jason lee there she is again ray walston sean penn judge reinhold practically first appearances from nicholas cage eric stoltz forrest whitaker anthony edwards like amy heckerling she knows how to fucking cast a movie even though it's her first film good for her uh yeah i mean it covers so much of just the nervousness of being a teenager like better than anything just everyone is doing what they think they're supposed to be doing but Maybe it is what I want to do and maybe not. I don't know. Like, that's a lot of the vibe of the movie. And at the same time, you have that kind of over here. And then over there, you have Sean Penn as just like a stoner weirdo constantly pissing off his teacher. And like, it's weird because it comes sort of in the middle of we get a run of teen sex comedies in the early 80s. And it sometimes gets classified as one. And I don't think it is because I think it's a little more serious than that, even though there is the basis for the... uh something about mary getting stuck in a zipper scene there that um plays out differently here anyway yeah fast times at ridgemont high if you've ever been a teenager or know some uh i highly recommend i i don't know how they nailed so many different 
kinds of being a teenager all in one movie. And we're going to be doing a deep dive on it for folks at patreon.com slash laser time because, oh, so many of us have so many opinions because we're not teenagers anymore, but we remember the trauma. So that's it for this week. Stay classic. I'm with you. If I take you out of the picture, I know real niggas won't miss you. No lie, no lie, no lie. Coming into 2012 with uh, No Lie by Two Chains off of his uh, debut based on a TRU story. That spells true, everyone. Just wanted to let everyone know out there who's not what? as into Two Chains as I am. Welcome to 2012. <laughs> August 12th through the 18th. Other new music releases include The Mighty Death Pop by Insane Clown Posse. Uh, Southern Air by Yellow Card, The Midsummer Station by Apple City, and Mature Themes by Ariel Pink. Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is just the hit of the summer. It's the whole summer. <gasps> yeah. yeah. Buckle in. It's going to be a long ride. Yep. Yeah. And lots of, lots of news 10 years ago coming out of uh, Moscow. Um, mm. Yeah. Couldn't have foreshadowed what was going on now because three members of the Russian band Pussy Riot are jailed for two years. For What was mm-hmm. that for? For their lyrics or assembling? The performing in a church. Performing in a church. Okay. Yeah. They disrupted a church and they said that was very, very offensive. I think they were doing a lot of that, though. I am not defending yeah. the jailing of Pussy Riot. I think Pussy Riot's great. Uh, and, of course, gay pride events are banned uh, for, a, for a century? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but banning for a century is just such an oddly specific thing. The, it's by not then, banned forever. It's just, you know what? By then, by, by then, we'll be cool century. with it. Everybody one will be. century is all we're asking. Everybody will be dabbling yeah. 100 years no. from now. It just gives you plenty of time to prepare for Pride 2112. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to oh, be the so, Someone should sh- start a web page for that. Uh, we're, yeah. we're not. We're following your ban. It, we're just planning for 2112. Yeah, you know, it's like just so they can say on like a world stage, we did not ban forever. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. only 100 years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no gay pride events in Moscow for a century. Um, yeah, and they're still going with that. Uh, was, what is it? Not the prelate. Maybe it was the Metropolitan of uh, Moscow. They Different titles because they're Orthodox over there. Literally just said the other day, it was like, gay pride parades are part of what caused the invasion of Ukraine. Really is everything they hate, isn't it? Yeah. Nazis and gay people all coming together mm. and working in unison. You know how Nazis and gays get along. Oh, yeah. And- there is. <laughs> Super Nazis, gays, and election deniers. Okay. Yeah. Pride 2112, Moscow, baby. And, uh, it's going to be amazing. But much happier news. Let's talk it? about, I mean, it's sad news because it is sad to destroy art, but it ends up being a happy story for this town because they now have a, they've been bringing in a ton of tourist money. Yeah. This Instagram, really helped the town. Instagram, yeah. really. Everybody on Instagram. $7,000 per year in tourist money based on this and an opera. There's an opera? There's an opera based on so this. So this is about the, oh, the painting that, that some kindly lady decided to clean up? Yeah, so exactly. Ecce homo. 
I'm not saying. Behold the man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She decided it's pretty chipped and uh, I'm going to fix it. She was 81. And she says, no one tried to stop me. Everyone knew what I was doing. I was painting in broad daylight in the church, just touching it up, touching a little. um, And then she went away for a weekend. She said she wasn't done. And when she came back, everyone was going crazy because now Jesus looks like a weird monkey. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great Saturday Night Live skit on this where she comes on the show and she's like, and then I saw the Lord Jesus Christ before me with his monkey face and his weird (laughs) hair that wraps around that looks like a beard or maybe it's a towel. You can't tell. It it, it looks like one of the like an image you'd get out of like that dolly thing that people were crazy about a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Just a super blurry version of something real. Yeah. I've yeah. I've seen two or three different people dressed like this for Halloween, <laughs> and it's Love. yeah, dressing as Eke Homo is pretty easy because it's really just a mask mm-hmm. and like a smock. You can get away, get away with just about anything. Yeah, but I mean, it's sad that she did, well, just took it, it upon he herself and didn't know what a she was major doing. Artist, for what it's no. worth, this is not like a Picasso. This is not like a Rembrandt. This is a rather obscure artist who no one had really heard about and if you go to his wiki page it's like 98 percent this instance and it's not like an ancient artwork either i think it dates to like the 30s yeah but it's still it's a beautiful painting and she (laughs) turned it into something else entirely Hmm. see see i just i'm not sure i agree with restoring art in general i think that if you want to just make a copy do that just like, mm-hmm. here's the original. Mm-hmm. It is suffering the ravages of time. Here is a reproduction, which looks like how we think it looked like at the time. But I don't think you actually have a solid case for tampering with the original work. Not with paint, you don't. Yep. No. There's You can clean things to get the dirt off of them. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Right. But and once, you, once your paintbrush is painting new paint on a painting, I'm not no. down with that. Yeah, as someone who loves no. animation cells when you start seeing some Disney stuff from the forties and it's just like, there is no preserving this. Mm. This is going to degrade. This is going to crack and bend and there's nothing you can do about it. You cannot restore those cells. So that's, that's my uh, me yeah. weighing in on art. Yeah. yeah. No, you got to run a copy. It's the same mm-hmm. with classic cinema. The film degrades. You got to run a copy and then try to do your best to clean it up, but mm-hmm. don't decide to recolor it a different color and you don't Ugh. know what you're doing. It's, it's just like, <sighs> I thought your treehouse needed new curtains. Oh, mom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Eke Homo. But yeah, thousands of dollars every year coming to this little town in Spain, helping support a bunch of charities because people want to come see it. Still funny. And it is still funny. Man, a movie I wanted to see 10 years ago, and I now realize it's been 10 years since I wanted to see it Robot mm-hmm. and Frank. A uh, well, scene of movies of 2012. I should have jumped into that. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's a charmer and it's real short. So you can blow through Robot and Frank. Pretty quickly, uh, with voice of Peter Skarsgård, Liv Tyler, James Marsden, Susan Sarandon, Frank Langella actually in person. And it's about the near future where you can get a basically a robot butler health aid. James Marsden does for his dad, Frank Langella, who's starting to have memory loss problems. But the thing is, uh, he's a cat burglar. And so he starts training the robot to become his accomplice. (laughs) This had a really nice touch to it that I don't see in a lot of sci-fi works. Um, there's a scene where the robot is trying to inspire the old man, and he's like, no, you've got to survive, because if you don't, they're going to erase me. And then later on, the robot 
gets honest with him and says, I don't care if I'm ever erased. I'm a robot. I don't have your feelings. I just said that to make you feel better, but I don't care if I get erased because I'm not alive. You know, I, mm. I really think that's an interesting philosophical thing to explore in film because we're always exploring in film. These robots have feelings. Why don't we treat them like human beings? But very rarely do you get these robots seem like they have feelings, but it's all ones and zeros and it means nothing. I yeah. think that's something worth to explore in a sci-fi. I story. thought they were in Pluto Nash. I... <laughs> yeah, I thought that while I was watching the movie, I was like, this is part of its programming to make him feel bad. Yeah. Because all his other arguments aren't working. So this is, he's programmed to tell him, but they'll kill me, Frank. <laughs> I'll forget everything, Frank. You don't want that, do you, Frank? So yeah, it ends up, uh, it was pretty charming. I I mean, I definitely recommend it. It's like 90 minutes. It really blows through real fast. There's a little bit of an argument in the future where it's like Liv Tyler, his daughter is like, robots are taking jobs from humans and that's not fair. I I'm, I don't want robots. Robots deserve more rights than this. But then also realize like, but there's just tools, you know, because this little guy, it just sort of looks like Osimo. <laughs> and, you know, his job is just sort of help. And it turns out you can teach him to pick locks. Uh, I remember like, when but, Johnny Five joined Los Locos in Short Circuit 2 <laughs> to feed yeah, a little baby. But could he stuff. cook low salt meals for me? Ooh, yeah, potentially. I would like that. It's all that would be nice. Yeah, Robot and Frank. Robot and yep, Frank. That's a yes. Odd Life of Timothy Green, though. Ooh, uh, looks I, uh, smarmy. Disney. It's a throwback. Yeah. A Disney film yeah. uh, based on an Amit Zappa story with Jennifer Garner, Joel Edgerton, C.J. Adams, Ron Livingston, Diane Weist, uh, Odea Rush, uh, Rosemary DeWitt, Lin-Manuel Miranda, M. Emmett Walsh, Lois Smith, and Come On. Come on. Yes, <laughs> yeah. did not see this. Boy, is this weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. And like like I said, it's a, it's a real throwback looking into, oh, wait, what's this writer-director done before? Oh, he wrote the novel What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and he wrote the screenplay for About a Boy. And Dan in real life. Gotcha. Huh. It's like now I understand a little yeah. better in that, like. But those films are good. But those films are good, but it's like okay, this sort of tone of like there's magical realism, but it's also about like childhood, but also not. It's just, it's odd. It is it is odd. He has an odd life. Timothy Green is odd because he is not a real little boy. Mm -hmm. He is. Like a oh, plant that's going to die when his leaves <laughs> fall off. <laughs> yeah. His parents basically wished for him and he just sort of shows up. But also yeah, he they is part wish plant. for the perfect kid. They say, yeah. what if instead of having a human being with their own thoughts, their own emotions, their own development, what if we got to design our kid and put all our insecurities and all the things we wish we would have done as children and have him magically come to life before us? And then they do a horrible job of being parents. Like every decision they make is wrong. And they were given a perfect kid. That's that's impressive. <laughs> I saw people saying it's kind of Frank Capra-y because, of course, there's got to be a point where the whole town's going to get to this is going to fix everybody's problems of something. And it's like, I, it's like I, I respect the audacity, really, of just making something this weird because it, it is a weird conceit it's kind of a pinocchio thing and kind i mean maybe an it doesn't AI, hurt ai thing hmm. yeah hmm. well i was gonna say it hasn't hurt that you know we talked about ai within like the last year or so Classic. like i got that on the mind <laughs> but it's also like 
I don't know, but it's also for kids, but it's like really sad. Like I remember when this came out, there are YouTube videos of kids losing their shit at this. That's the thing. I don't know who this was made for. It it's mm. trying to be for kids, but it's not. This is not a kid's no. film. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't know. Damn. Yeah, it's strange. It yeah, how did odd. this get made? Did an, an episode, and there was an awful lot of them just going. But I don't understand why that though. I'm like, yeah, I, I, yeah. And uh, also this week, a movie called Sparkle. What the fuck? What movie has Curtis Armstrong and Whitney Houston in it? It's her last <laughs> role. Yeah, she passed away shortly after filming. So, hmm. yeah, it's a remake of a movie from the 70s. That's basically the story of the Supremes. Mm. And we get we've already had Dream Girls a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, it is OK. I prefer the 70s one because um, at least it will have some camp value but it does have curtis mayfield songs which they carry over to this movie a bunch of them and that is good mm. it, it wasn't it definitely wasn't campy enough for me but it also wasn't like good enough like it was just <laughs> sort of okay it was okay i mean i feel bad that they really are really trying to launch jordan sparks as like the next whitney houston she won american idol and she's a hell of a singer but everyone outacts her she's like she's okay mm. but as a star vehicle like dude the rest of the bench is too loaded honey this was this was not a cool call yeah so, uh, yeah sparkle is just sort of there like maybe give it more time it will have more i don't know cachet but like even for movies with whitney houston in them like every other movie with whitney houston in it is more popular than this because it's just sort of there and so, then sparkle out with the sparkle, in, in with the Leica. Yes! Um, Let's talk about a good movie. Yeah, John Goodman, Bernard Hill, Elaine Stritch, Jeff Garland, Leslie Mann, Christopher Mintz-Plasse, Casey Affleck, Anna Kendrick, Tucker Albrezi, and uh, Cody Smith-McPhee. Paranorman. Paranorman. Norman, wait up! Can you see ghosts everywhere all the time? Uh, yeah. Awesome. Now listen close. The curse is real. You've got to use your gift to stop it. I told you, zombie! <laughs> Come on! We're pretty much zombie slayers. I... Ow! Paranormal, from the makers of Coraline, in theaters this summer. Mm. We started with zombies, we're nearly ending with zombies. Damn it, I fucking loved Paranorman. I did too, but I haven't seen it in so long. Except It's a... It's a solid film. Mm. I think I think Coraline is a stone cold classic. Like it is up yep. there, should be regular viewing around Halloween. Yes. This is good. I don't think it's Coraline good, but it's still very good. It's really good. And I mean, yeah, it's Leica, so it's the stop animation folks. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you just mentioned 3D printed food because they did 3D printed faces. <laughs> right. 3D printed out all the different parts of an expression and then just, you know, put them in one at a time, one at a time as they stop motion animate it. And yeah, I guess that, I mean, how did they make them how both? How did they do it before? Oh my God. Sculpting yeah. instead of like, uh, get it exactly the I, way you want it. I've computer. watched the behind scenes features. Uh, yeah, time. Mm, so much time. Time. And I, I would love anything that could help Laika make more movies for real. Yeah. Yeah. They do things with film that no one else is doing, and yeah. I always appreciate that. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to put it. I'm trying to think. Have I seen a bad Leica movie? I don't not know. Not straight a bad one. I don't think I have. Every time I thought, like, uh, I'm not going to be interested in that, because honestly, I was just sort of like, I don't 
I hate the box shrug. trolls. Yeah, I was like shrug on paranormal, whatever. And then I watched it like that was wonderful, and I would love to watch it at Halloween. That is so much fun. Same with like Kubo and the two strings. I, I was sort of like, I don't know. And then I watched them like that was a fucking masterpiece. Oh my god! I think with their their there's something about stop motion that really lends itself to friendly spookiness, and they should focus mm. on making Halloween movies all the time. Like that's I've never seen Missing Link, so oh, I yeah, can't comment uh, on that if that's good or most not. Most people didn't. I've yeah. heard good things, but yeah. I also have not seen it. So, but Kubo and the Two Strings, classic Coraline, classic. Paranorma, classic, you know, they've got a pretty good track record. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Didn't watch the box trolls, but it would have to really, really, really blow for it yeah. to even throw off this batting average. Yeah, Paranorman, I, I thought was adorable. It was just the right kind of spooky where it's not super soft. Spook- like, there's some things that are a little bit scary, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the are you afraid of the dark kind of scary yeah. way. Exactly. Where it's like, you know, it's a little bit. Like you can console a child might get upset and they are very easily consoled over the garden. They're not, they're not going to be tormented for life. Yeah. Yeah. I really meant to rewatch this, but I really love watching these movies high. Oh, (laughs) like a lot. Like, uh, like spooky stop motion is so good when you're high and I'm not very much. So, uh, yeah, my dad has more weed than me now. Last but not lastly, I'm not sure you're going to beat this cast. Uh, sorry, Pluto Nash. Uh, Yunnan, Scott Atkins, Liam Hemsworth, Randy Couture, Terry Crews, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Chuck Norris, Dolph Lundgren, Jet Li, Jason Statham, and Sylvester Stallone in The Expendables 2. Here we go! Let's do it! Tighten up! I'm back. Sometimes it's fun to run with the pack. The shoe is bigger than this car. Shoot something! This is the best Expendables movie. If you're only going to see one of them, I'd say watch this one. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> Just, I mean, if you, if you had to. If you had to. The one as, with Jean-Claude Van Damme as a villain whose name is Villain. <laughs> God, they couldn't even control F it, you fucking jerks. They're they're leaning into it, guys. They're just yeah. fully embracing. This is a gimmick film. The whole premise, the only reason you're going to watch this is because of the gimmick of all these action stars right. all together. And for what that is, they deliver. You know, yeah. this is a 1980s action film on steroids with all your favorite 1980s action stars on steroids. I still thought it was diminishing returns because there's just something about like Expendables was, was such a crazy, seemingly out of nowhere throwback. I didn't know it was going to turn into this like little house where all these old action people go to thrive. I mean, it's three films, right? There's well, it would have been more, but like uh, if you remember, the third one leaked online and did terrible as a result. But these things kill well, the overseas. Third one went to PG thirteen. This isn't PG thirteen. It was this supposed to be, but it was impossible. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but see, to me. These have to be R-rated films. Oh, yeah. These yeah. films have to be like full-on blood, full-on guts, full-on high-intense action. I mean, if you compare the action shots in this film 
to action shots in a lot of other 2012 films, the Bourne films. You know, this is that old school action where you are seeing the full action in front of you, where they go through all the moves instead of just cut, 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 because Mm -hmm. these are action stars. They know how to be in an action film in a way a lot of modern action Mm -hmm. movies don't have action stars. They just have stars and they have to cut around because of that. Yeah, it just seemed to be like the oddest franchise, but it's constantly rumored to come back because no one is dead. 10 years later. Wow. Mm. No one is you know, dead. Uh, if they ever make a biopic of Sylvester Stallone, then the making of The Expendables will be a great finale to it because it's essentially the story that's told in Rocky Balboa, an old timer past his prime who wants to push himself to great lengths to show that he's still relevant. Boom. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Stallone kind of makes that movie a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> he, he does well yeah but yeah. it's a good story to tell i think no no and i'm with you i'm with you. I, I i don't care how gifted you are in the genetic jackpot mm-hmm. to look as good as all of these guys do at their age is a hell of a accomplishment they they have such amazing discipline to look how they are in their 60s or Maybe the exception of Randy Couture, because like you shouldn't look the same age as all these old people. Well, really, just his ears. Yeah, (laughs) Randy Couture has the weirdest cauliflower ear I've ever seen in my life. True. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's nice that this one they get to take. uh, You know, Bruce Willis and uh, Arnold. Bruce Willis appears on screen with another living human being. Holy shit! Was that distracting in the first movie? They're not just. You know, they come off the bench. They're not just like. We're going to have a scene in a church where we look at each other. Mm-hmm. It's like they actually go do some stuff. Yeah, this they, there's a scene where all three of them, Bruce, Arnold, and Sly, are kicking ass at the same time at the same place. And that's what every 80s action film right. fan wanted to see. And they get to see it in this film. Oh, Bruce Willis yeah. is the only one that can't do stuff right. Oh, I didn't think about that. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, you're uh, there's, there's also a bit where they mention Rambo. So Rambo exists in the oh. Expendables universe. Yeah. But he's pl- so but he's uh, who's playing Rambo because it's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger Seagal. like it's got to be Seagal. Seagal. Oh. It's got to be Seagal. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Three that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but oh, then there would only be timeline. one Rambo and it would suck. <laughs> and it wasn't First Blood. It started with Rambo 3. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Can't start at Rambo 3. Expendables 2, uh, the best Expendables, according to JR. Uh, I didn't didn't get to rewatch yeah. it, but uh, I'll take your word for it. Move into some television. I did like I just saw the, the the burn with Jeff Ross premiere. I love Jeff Ross, and I like that he had a show for a little bit. And that that is now ten years old and I'm depressed. And he had a full head of hair when he was doing it. Yeah, I didn't hear until this week he had alopecia. Like I just oh I, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> no one goes bald that fast. In uh, 2012 August what is it August 12th to the 18th Olympic men's basketball finals, the U.S. defeats Spain 107 to 100. Bronze goes to Russia. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. That is a narrow fucking victory for a dream team. Mm. Just pointing that out. I can't Remember name a, about... a Spaniard basketball player. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's true. And but, then, uh, uh, yeah, but we still won. Yay. Good for us. Man, love talking about the end of Better Call Saul. By the time most of you hear this, that might have already happened. Breaking Bad Season 5, Episode 5, Dead Freight, otherwise known as the Train Heist Episode, which is really one of its best. Uh, This is some of the best episodes of television of all time. Mm. It should be on the list. Yeah. It's so tense Mm -hmm. and meticulous. And you always know who is doing what at what time and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. 
And then right when you breathe, Todd proves himself to be a fucking the psychopath you kind of always knew he was. He is revealed to be the most evil character in Breaking Bad mm-hmm. because that all the other so that's it's so it's a lot it's a lot but all the other characters when they're evil they usually have some reason for their evilness it's like I want power I want money I need to be tough in this job or I'll be killed Todd is evil for evil's sake he gets joy out of pain and death in and of itself well I don't know that he enjoys it he, he just joy. doesn't care he doesn't care at all not a little, not yeah. even a little bit. Yeah, so it's not that it's Todd is him no happy. soul. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, in the yeah. Breaking Bad uh, sequel movie, mm-hmm. El Camino. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, keep going. Yeah, he seemed to get joy I'll out take of that, torturing Jesse. Jesse. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. So I almost yeah. feel like, yeah, this is um, Jesse Plemons' talk character we're talking about. Um, I don't know if it's like a joy thing. Is he finds it interesting? Mm. And oh, it's even more detached. Did I say this last week? Public service announcement. Mm. Your parents do not know El Camino exists. I have talked to five <laughs> sets of friends with parents who are in a Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I think they only advertise it on the internet. Your parents do not know there is a Breaking Bad movie. Tell them, make their day. I swear <laughs> to God, you, I, I, will, I will be proven right here. Your parents have no idea. El Camino is one of my favorite movies of like the last 10 years. It's very good. It's up there. It's very good. Uh, good. But real quick, on this episode, guess in our, all our minds, the train heist part of this just dominates our memory, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In a 42-minute show, at around what minute mark does the train heist start? Ooh, I don't know. 20? Oh. We got 20. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I remember it as being really early, though. <laughs> but I'm, okay. I have a feeling you're going to tell, memory. You gotta, gonna am, tell but, me it's like but, 40 minutes. But I, I feel like it's six minutes in. It's like... We're going. See, that's our memory. If you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, about six minutes in. 30 yeah. minutes. Damn. In this 42-minute show, 30 minutes until you get the planning to the and the, the whole cross uh, crossing road mm-hmm. thing like, before the train even gets there. And Walter and Hank's office fake crying. Mm-hmm. You know, that's <laughs> such an interesting scene because he's telling 100% true stuff. He has lost the love of his wife. He has uh, made a mess of his marriage. And he's in fake being sad about that. But he shuts it off on a dime, and he should be really upset about all that. But he just, no, I'm I'm a sociopath now. I'm able to just uh, Mm. turn off my real feelings. Mm. So good. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Speaking of almost good, (laughs) Animal Practice debuts on NBC. I just like Justin Kirk, man. I really liked him in Angels in America and Weeds. And uh, I wanted to see see, see him do something dope, but I didn't get into Animal Practice on uh, NBC. The uh, veterinary love uh, dramedy? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Hotel Hell debuts on Fox. Oh, if you thought only uh, restaurant owners could be delusional, boy, do <laughs> hotel owners have a thing for you, too. Because mm-hmm. oh, there's so many of these people who it's like, well, we're hiring this guy whose whole point is to tell us how bad we are doing. But I'm sure he'll say we're doing great. Because, yeah. I, and it's just so like, bizarre. You know he's coming. You've signed the forms. <laughs> Maybe make sure there aren't dead yeah. roaches in the bathroom. Clean the sperm oh, off the ceiling. There's yeah. this lady in the clip I saw. She has her dead stuffed cat in front of her hotel. She has a broken window at the entrance to her hotel. And he asks her about it. And she says, oh, that was broken when I bought the place. And how long ago did you bought the, buy the place? About 12 years. Mm-hmm. So 12 years, you don't fix a broken window at the front of your hotel. It, it is just so bizarre, these people's mindsets. I don't get it. Yep. In some ways, I think I 
prefer this to watching Kitchen Nightmares or whatever the other shows where Gordon Ramsay yeah. goes and yells at small business owners. Yeah, <laughs> because That's a genre. Yeah, just because I, I know a lot less about restaurants than I suppose I do about the hospitality industry. You I don't know. Do? <laughs> I don't know. It, restaurants, there's uh, this whole hierarchy and there's rules and it everything. And, and it's also like, if it's going to get disgusting, it's going to be way more disgusting. Like, there's going to be rat poop in the kitchen. No. As opposed to, that bothers me more, the rat poop being near my food, than rat poop be being near sheets. Because I can always change sheets. I cannot believe there's people who devote their themselves professionally to housing humans as a for-profit <laughs> business that should be a non-profit business all the time if it's gross <laughs> and people are disgusting and it and it goes beyond poop here diana oh uh, yeah like I, it, I know i've seen some oh, episodes oh uh i would and then also randy cunningham uh ninth grade ninja debuts on disney xd uh so yeah someone went you know what's cool being a ninja why don't we have our ninth grader do something cool like become a ninja became a story about two best friends though that was kind of the thrust of the series got left on a cliffhanger so uh, all you uh randy cunningham Ooh. fans never got a resolve but there is a change.org petition so i'm sure <laughs> that'll work out well uh, also for some reason there were 18 flash games on this yeah yeah i uh, know right disney's gotta get their bucket of all that money they paid for go.com who's gonna forget that <laughs> url speaking of games video games 2012 august 12th to the, to the 18th iron brigade on on windows is out for pc it's another third person shooter tower defense game which i didn't know was a genre until i played orcs must die but apparently it is darksiders 2 is out on uh, pc and ps360 is that the end of darksiders uh, as far as the sequels go, um, maybe uh, all I know is you play one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There were supposed to be four Ooh. and you play as all four horsemen in each game, but they kind of hit oh. a snag on three. And I don't think the fourth one's come out. There's just been prequels, re-releases, all that stuff. Oh, that's a shame. They should play as each one. You know, I'm sure Famine would be a great character to play. <laughs> oh, I'm making people starve. Yay me. <laughs> You don't want to bore anybody, but like I think, uh, let me see here. Yeah, this is the, I think this is the year the publisher, its publisher goes out of business. So that kind of puts a hamper on the yeah. game series. The Last Story is out on Wii. I think now a super rare game. Yeah, this is the Wii's last gasp, y'all. Mm. This is just, you can see the Wii groaning under the attempt to play this game. But it looks amazing for a Wii game. I would say probably the best looking Wii game that exists. But the system can just barely run it Nah, man ninja bread man all the way <laughs> just kidding it's too obscure <laughs> to get a laugh at uh and then uh sleeping dogs a game jesus i really like out on pc ps360 it, it's a fantastic premise what if jackie chan was in a john woo film other than hand of death people <laughs> but also uh, it is uh it is activision had made that true crime series it's gta ripoff series and then abandon it and it gets picked up and turned into something far better than anything in that series has ever been. Released by Square Square Enix, I think. And uh, we've never seen anything else before or since. But there's uh, plenty of remasters out there. It's a very good game. And uh, Dustin Elysian Tale for Xbox Live. I don't say this anymore. But all I ever wanted to do was play a cartoon. And this, I watched this game for years. Mm -hmm. Like, I want this so bad. This looks like you're playing animation. And it still kind of does in a Metroidvania game. 
Beautiful to look at. Really, really like the game. Played it on two systems. Check it out. But before we send you guys off, we're going to tell you who died during this period and have a little quiz you can play along with about uh, who was born during this purr to 30, 2010. But for that, just let me get a couple plugs out. Give us five bucks. Come on. We, this is a long show. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. You got a show about E.T. New episode of Sick of Star Wars. Got Laser Time and Video Game Apocalypse this week. Listen to all those. Thanks for listening to 302010. We'll have more bonus shows for you soon. Di, what about you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitter at ListeningNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, the 302010podcast. Coming up next week, oh, we have another movie that has to do with boxing and prison, but uh, no Lou Gossett this time. It's Wesley Snipes. Oh. Ooh. And we've got JGL on a bike and we got robert pattinson in a limo okay maybe they'll fight uh, probably not because david cronenberg has decided you know who i like uh-huh. i like that weird vampire kid oh yeah and the weird vampire kid said i actually have taste and i like you too david cronenberg <laughs> and they make movies together and that's correct right. and uh jr what about you bud they can find me on the twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And now it is time for the birthday quiz. Birthday quiz. We didn't say who died. Oh, oh now it is not time for the birthday <laughs> quiz. Birthday <laughs> quiz. Okay, in 1992, we do not know the exact date, so this is an estimate. Christopher McCandless died, who was 24. Mm. That's the Into the Wild kid. Mm-hmm. Get a map and a book about what berries are good to eat, please. Yeah. Also, do not take inspiration from the book about how a guy was stupid and killed himself to go do the thing that was stupid and killed him. Yeah. Also see yeah. a therapist. Yeah. 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 No, they've had to rescue all kinds of people from wanting to go out to where he died. To mm-hmm. the bus. I think they had to take the bus away. Good. They put a bus out there for shelter for people and um, he died there and people kept going out there and needed to be rescued. So yes, don't do that. Do don't a little do bit of research. Donnie don't does. Mm-hmm. Do a little research before you try to live off the land, because the land will kill you. Ask Warner Herzog. Nature wants you dead, so it, it can turn you into other nature. Yes, precisely. <laughs> yes. Anyway, also in 1992, we lost a bunch of folks. Uh, fashion designer Tommy Nutter, who was 49, he revolutionized classical tailoring. Uh, the Joker suits in the 89 Batman. Fuck. Hell yeah. Another one, unfortunately, we lost to AIDS. We also lost avant-garde composer John Cage, who is 79. We will now have four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. I can't do it. I can't. (laughs) That was a classy joke, motherfuckers. I just wanted to make a Johnny Cage Mortal Kombat. I thought I did. I did it too too quietly. Well, maybe we'll just go out with 433 and that'll help the artsy-fartsy people. Okay, the joke there is that it's one of his most famous compositions. It's called 433, and it is literally four minutes and 33 seconds of everyone just sitting there not playing their instruments. Oh, Pootie Tang-esque. I love it. Huh. Yeah, and it's you're supposed to just listen to the ambient sound. Anyway, huh. that's why my joke was funny. I explained <laughs> it now. Uh. Uh, finally, also in 1992, we lost director John Sturges, who was 82. I forget who I was talking to about Bad Day at Black Rock, but that is a fantastic movie and y'all should watch it he also did great escape and uh magnificent seven yeah stuff like that nice. yeah he was he was a good director and in 2012 is when we finally somehow managed to kill helen Gurley brown who i thought was going to live forever she was 90 she's the one who made cosmopolitan magazine the magazine you think of when i say oh. cosmopolitan because it went back to like the 19th century but it was full of like fancy short stories and shit and she was the one who was like this thing is failing let's make it 
kind of like Playboy for girls, yeah. but not about sex, but also being about like a career woman, but also fashion, mm-hmm. but also makeup, but also feeling bad about yourself. Uh, what a great middle name for that business. Girly. I yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, okay. That's all the dead people now. Okay. Now, now it's time for the birthday quiz. Yay. Birthday. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Okay. Born August 15th, 1972 in Berkeley, California. His family moved to Massachusetts when he was three, and then they eventually moved to Cambridge. I'm sorry, how old is he now? He would be turning 50. He was born August 15th, 1972. Okay, gotcha. In 2014, he was banned from the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino after allegedly counting cards. Oh, Ooh, interesting. Interesting. In 2001, Charlie Sheen personally drove him to a Malibu rehab center to check him in. Oh, Man, he would be... later go on to provide moral support to Lindsay Lohan during her rehab stint in 2013. Oh, okay. All right. Starting who's from been through it. Okay. The earliest his career dates from is the PBS educational series, The Voyage of the Mimi. Ben Affleck. Oh, ben, ben Affleck. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Come on. I was there first. I have. That was like one of the yeah. only videotapes uh, our. our public schools had voyage of the meeting <laughs> yeah i was i was gonna uh, yeah. i was gonna go damon or affleck anyway as soon as you said mass is uh, so born in mass Ooh, scandalo <laughs> it's really hard because once you get to his earliest movies that everyone knows you'd instantly get it so i was going to mention he played patrick duffy's son in the television film daddy in 1991 he made a uncredited appearance as a basketball player in buffy the vampire slayer uh, had a supporting role in School Ties in 1992. Got that coming up in a month, yeah. He was a quarterback in the NBC television series Against the Grain. And this is the most Troy McClure movie name I've heard of in a long time. He played the steroid-abusing high school football player in Body to Die For, the Aaron Henry story. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. And then we'd get into Chasing Amy, 1997, Dogma, 1990. Say paycheck. Uh, Goodwill Hunting, 1997. <laughs> Changing Get in 1998. Pearl Harbor, 2001. Some of All Fears, 2002. Hollywood Land in 2006. Gone, Baby Gone, 2007. Yeah. And then uh, Paycheck. So, yeah. Thank you. Oh, said Paycheck, finally. <laughs> the best Ben Affleck movie. Ugh. Thank you, JR. Hollywood Land was good, yeah. I loved Hollywood Land. I think that yeah. is underrated. Yeah. Ben yep. Affleck played Superman and Batman. It's this important is true. to remember. It's good trivia. Uh, yep. Very trivial, but that's the point. Uh, thank you right. for listening. You want, you want some really big trivia? Yeah. Okay. So one of the songs from Sparkle, because we've talked about Curtis Mayfield writes the best songs yeah. for movies. One of the songs he wrote was for Sparkle, became a hit, not from the movie, but by Aretha Franklin. And then it was covered... 20, 20 something years later by En Vogue and in 1992 it's on the charts and also huh. in the film Sparkle in 2012 oh, huh. so, that's, that's... so we have to go with that yeah. fair enough give him something he can feel by En Vogue yeah. but uh, thank you guys so much for listening patreon.com slash laser time tell a friend about the show whatever thank you for listening we'll see you next week I'm giving him something he can feel